Welcome to the second episode of the Road Dogs podcast. I am your host, Nick Shaw, joined with my cousin and co-host, Josh Shaw. Josh, say hi. I'm trying to hold in a sneeze, um, and I don't know if it's going to work completely. But like, I don't Already. think I do now. Like, like, it's one of those things where it pops up, and you're like, uh-oh, mm-hmm. and then it kind of just settles down. And you're like, all right, I'm good. But I just, I don't know. I wanted to vamp on that. I still didn't say hi, but. Oh, yeah, hello. <laughs> well, I don't know. If it wasn't the first one, I presume they've, like, like who starts on on number two? You know, come on, man, babe. This could be yeah. this could be somebody's first episode. Stan Lee did have that quote, which is like every every issue could be someone's first. So you gotta, yeah. And look how that worked out for him. So yeah, moderately successful, you could say. Just a tad. Yeah. Um, on tap today, we have <laughs> a movie in, in in the loosest terms, but a, a movie nonetheless, and one that I actually wound up enjoying much more than I thought it would. Texas Chainsaw. Uh, the next generation or the the return of the next generation yeah yeah everybody's still trying to figure out the next generation of what (laughs) can we open on that real quick like i I don't want to take too much time on this but like i don't know if it's like implying it's the next generation of literally this family because that opens up a lot of questions or if it's the next generation of like hey we're in the 90s but like we'll get into this later but they do they do specifically state this is in the same universe as the first one. Right. Yeah. So and I'm just... a snarky, like kind of Kim Henkel, which we'll get into much later, kind of a snarky, like disregarding of the other two sequels, if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of like yeah. two quote, minor incidents as it's written in the title. And yeah. also next generation, pretty nineties, nineties kind of title. You think oh, it's so nineties. Like, <laughs> but it's so out of place for, we'll get, we're getting off track. Right? <laughs> But this is what the, off track is this movie. This is the allure of this movie, though, is you start talking about it, and within a minute you're somewhere else, and then in another minute you're completely somewhere else as well. And it's just like this rabbit hole of like fascination and like failure. Yeah. I'm gonna need another beer for this. Please. <laughs> um, so I guess you know, we're in a different genre. Obviously, we did good fellows last week. Uh moving on to uh not a critically acclaimed film. Uh are you a horror? I mean, like I know I mentioned before, but we don't really talk about like our origins of movies together because it's just like I've known you since I was in diapers. Right. So there was never that moment of like, hey man, let me get yeah. that cannon here. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. So yeah. What, what was your, like? Do you genuinely like horror movies? I think you do. Yeah. No, I really enjoy horror. Um, definitely, I think it's a genre that has not aged as well um, mm-hmm. compared to others. I think that I really enjoyed more the classics. The thing, the first couple Halloweens, um, first couple Friday the 13th, and I think we'll get into that too later. It's just I felt um, I felt like that genre has just been oversaturated, um, and some of that's just with the easiness that it is to make horror movies, quote unquote easiness. Like they turn them out and they always make a profit. So mm-hmm. um, it's been a little bit since I saw one that really kind of blew me away. I guess Nope is a horror movie in kind of the loosest terms, but yeah, I, I really enjoy horror. Um, as a genre, but I haven't been blown away by anything coming out of that genre in a while. What did you think? I don't want to get into this too much, but like, what did you think of the 2018 Halloween? Because I feel like that's a movie that is going to become such a linchpin of where horror is going forward in the sense of the way studios saw Star Wars The Force Awakens make big money of like remaking a, a, a trilogy, a new one, by capturing the old trilogy. I feel like we're headed in that direction, kind of. Did you like that movie? I liked the first one. I, I thought 2018 was good. Um, <clears throat> I liked how they brought Carpenter back for the soundtrack. I liked how it felt like it was a part of that universe, um, okay. whereas I felt like the zombie movies were a kind of 
complete departure from everything <laughs> that that kind of was tethered with the, with those yeah. characters. Um, so I enjoyed the first one for what it was. I thought it was a good gore fest in those movies. That's another thing is just, I think those movies have kind of gone into that same realm. Um, and that's where I kind of tapped out with Halloween Kills was just when he was slaughtering a whole entire town <laughs> in like this like slow-mo. Who's left? Who's left in that town? Fight scene. I, 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 that's when I tap out. That's when I tap out. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed 2018 Halloween. Yeah. I'm going to go see Halloween ends, right? That's kind, too. Of, kind of the way these movies work. It's it's popcorn. I mean, I'm probably going to watch all of them and be like, that eh, was disappointing, but I'm ready when they're going to make a sequel. See, I'm almost, and this is going to my horror history more, is I almost enjoy the bad horror movie more than I enjoy the good horror movie because I'm scared of mm. good horror movies. Like, I'm genuinely perturbed by, like, The Exorcist. Watching that is, like, such a disturbing experience in, in the way it's filmed, like, everything about it, the practical, practicality of it. Like, that movie genuinely grips me and, like, scares me because, like, we're not religious, obviously. <laughs> but that concept of, like, hell and being possessed and you know I have control over your body is such a terrifying notion along with all the other subtext in that movie. So I generally don't like horror for that reason because if it's really good, I'm I'm pretty scared. Right. I, I don't like being scared. Yeah, I guess and this kind of works hand in hand because they're so related. But I guess I kind of compare that feeling to the same thing as laughing at a really good comedy. Mm. Right. If I'm getting in a reaction, a visceral reaction out of a movie, then the movie's doing its job and I'm getting my money's worth. And that's kind of really at the end of the day you know, as far as it being a symbiotic relationship, that's all the studio wants. That's all I want. Right. So I, I kind of want that to happen a little bit more. I do understand where you're coming from too. And something like the exorcist too, especially when that came out, it was just, it was a phenomenon. There'd never been anything like it before. There's people passing out in the movie theaters, you know, et cetera. But um, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of like that feeling of, you know, a good jump scare that's actually has the payoff and has been building to it. And it's not just kind of, cheating me you know what i mean just wants wants me to jump so i'll it's, be yeah it's not just there to earn a ticket like exactly. you know <laughs> yeah um i would say i've seen more bad horror movies than i have good horror movies um i've seen the entire saw franchise every single movie mm-hmm. regrettably big waste of time uh i've watched i think every single hellraiser movie including the like scott derrickson one that he made which is actually pretty good I'm, I'm gonna make a confession here on this podcast. Please. I have not seen one Hellraiser movie. See, they're in the same vein of this movie, which we'll get into soon. Of like, at a certain point, it's so goofy. Like in the second or third movie, there's a scene where Pinhead transforms into an icicle, and then he launches himself as an icicle into someone's head. But it's the '80s, so it's horrifically done. Right. It's just like I don't know if they thought that was cool and a cool effect, or they're just that like, you know, whatever. But um which brings us to this movie i suppose speaking of bad horror movies sure yeah i just i don't want to say i discovered this (laughs) (laughs) i unearthed this gem (laughs) but in the summer of oh boy 2020 this is like covid is like kind of coming around and everyone's just kind of online Mm -hmm. and my friend devin and i made a mission to just like watch bad horror movies because like it was fun it was a good way to pass the time of like Let's just talk online and just watch these movies and like have a laugh or two in the meantime. And he always liked the first Texas Chainsaw, which he wanted to show us. So I was like, you know what? I'll do it. So like the four of us got into a call one night. We watched it. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't love it at the time, but I do think there, there's a lot of merit to it. It's it's an early example of like American independent cinema. 
Mm. was put together on a shoestring budget before Sundance, before, you know, South by Southwest or really any of those kind of festivals. Maybe, maybe not Sundance. Don't quote me on that, but I, I'm willing but, to say probably. But it's such a niche movie and a horror right. movie that like there is no safety net the way there is with a lot of indie fin- like cinema there is Great now. Ending, too. I mean, that, that's yeah. a really iconic shot with mm. Leatherface throwing the chainsaw around. You know, I remember seeing that movie. <laughs> Kind of like all the other movies we talked about, far too young, and yeah. that one really kind of sticking with me as far as the ending. Because you see this like almost like animalistic like joy and hunger he has. But anyways, this is beside the point. Um, so after that, I was like, hey, like we're still bored. I guess this movie exists, Texas Chainsaw. And he read me the title, and I was like, I'm watching this. We're doing this. Like the next generation of, of what? <laughs> you know, like, like same thing we talked about earlier. Just like, what does that mean? Like, what are they? What, it just sounds so like goofy and stupid. And when I saw, him, yeah, just not sorry, not to not to like talk no, over go ahead. too much, but like, and with a series that had had what a little bit of downtime between this one and the other one, right? Uh, yeah, there was about what I think like six years. So why not just stick with the title of Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> and like save everyone and yourselves massive headaches? I don't know. I think it was the studio, is my guess, because there's a lot of stuff, and we'll get into that. But yeah, of course, yeah. But anyways, carry on. I'm sorry. We're gonna and, and yeah, and we. I saw Matthew McConaughey and Zellweger in this movie, and that only enhanced it more. Of like, I've got to watch this. Like, I don't care what it is. And we watched it, and we had to pause it. I think three or four times because we were laughing so hard. We either at it or with it. I don't. I don't quite know. <laughs> I still don't know. Um, and then immediately when everyone else came back online from like whatever they were doing that day, we we're like, Hey guys, we got to watch this movie and hand to God the next day we got dinner. We went to my basement and we watched that movie twice in 24 hours, Devin and I, and, <laughs> and it was just like one of those experiences that I'll always have of like us just laughing and being like, wait, wait, we just pause that scene too. And just like the same thing of like unlocking this great comedy that I'm still beginning to realize through like my six rewatches has a lot more to it. I've seen this movie like six times. No, I, I understand. Yeah. I think this would be a good time to inform everybody about this being my first time and how <laughs> you're trying to push this movie onto me for the past two years. I've been like, I'm not watching this. This is a garbage movie. And I'm not one to like be caught up in things where it's like, well, oh, it only has 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. No, I know that this is a bad movie. This is one of those historic <laughs> You just have to look at like the poster and you can yeah. tell it's like, oof, yikes. You know, I was looking at that poster and it kind of like made me think of like, you are Leatherface in that poster. <laughs> me finally acquiescing and saying, yeah, we can do this and doing it on a podcast, no less. And I am Renee Zellweger watching it for the first time in absolute shock, disgust and horror. You say, no, this is our second episode. We are going from like a critically acclaimed movie, Goodfellas, who's lost three cast members now. It's pretty relevant now again. Yeah, everyone just keeps dying. Yeah, to this piece of schlock. <laughs> well, I think that's what's good about this podcast is it's an every man's podcast. Yeah, you can know a little bit about movies, you can know a lot about movies. You can just kind of want to laugh, mm-hmm. and I think that's just kind of one of our aims here. But like, yeah, we're this is a really low bar to clear for episode. <laughs> we don't discriminate against any type of movie no, at this never. point. I think it's clear. Never. Um, I'm very excited for our, our eclectic taste to kind of collide here but yeah i this was my first time watching this movie um it's a bad movie there's no doubt about it but i found myself enjoying it and laughing at it 
or with it, kind of like you said, right? It's kind of a difficult thing to decide which one you're doing. And we're going to kind of debate that a little bit later because maybe I was reading into it too much, but it, it's, you, I don't think you could be that lucky to be that stupid to not have it be a parody. <laughs> it's, it's amazing screenwriting if that is not, a, if, if, if it's like intention is to not be a parody. Because I love that your main argument so far, even though we haven't started the argument, is just like, he can't be this dumb. <laughs> <laughs> he can't be. Um, but no, I, I, I found myself enjoying parts of it. And I think it's a great little time capsule of movies in the 90s, like that would come out like this where it would be like direct to VHS or, you know, later on kind of down the road in the early to mid 2000s, straight to DVD, where it, it had its niche audience, where this was something that you pull out of a target bin, where it was like five for $5 or two for five, whatever it was. And you'd watch it and it would sit on the shelf and kind of like what you said, everybody would come over and laugh at it. It kind of found me, I kind of found myself not relating in the sense of the content, but in the sense of the way that it portrayed itself almost with like a Kung, kung Fu hustle. Yes. Uh, where it's, it, it's, it's in on the joke, but it also at sometimes it might be taking itself a little too seriously. It, yes, I think there's, there's a comment that someone made where they're like, he wanted it to be intellectual and funny. And I'm not sure <laughs> that mix like completely works together if you're trying to do a parody slash satire. Right. It's also trying to say something about like the meaning and essence of horror in like both movies and just in general. Right. Yeah. And it's, also carrying two burdens with that right it has the burden of being a horror movie that's not scary <laughs> and it has the burden of being a black comedy i guess that's not funny i i didn't find no. myself laughing at any of the parts that i probably was supposed to i found myself laughing at leatherface cutting up a chimney that looks like it was made out of styrofoam and rubber you know what i mean i found myself laughing at the fact that um the main antagonist of this movie is killed in the last five frames by a flying airplane which you never like completely comes out of nowhere. When I and first I watched like it, add, this movie is called Texas Chainsaw. No one dies from a chainsaw. In no, this movie. <laughs> it's more of a threat than like a. It, it is just more of a threat than a murder weapon. I don't know. Why I said it is almost. It just is like no one. No one's touched by it. I think you could say like Renee Zellweger's feet, maybe, but like right. other than that. Yeah. Um. So I, I feel like we should break this movie down, kind of rough in the plot. Just to kind of like, because because no one's seen this. All right, lead it off. So we open with a narration um, that seemingly references the first Texas Chainsaw movie. It opens with some about nineteen six or nineteen seventy three, which is the first movie came out in seventy four. So we're assuming it's like there's a story about this chainsaw wielding family, and we assume that's you know the first movie. And then it says then over the next several years, there's like. They didn't find anyone. There's like two somewhat, or I think it's minor yet, apparently unrelated incidents were reported, which is referencing to the second and third movie. The second movie is also really bad. There's a, there's a moment. Have you seen the second one? mom has got a girlfriend. Got a girlfriend. <laughs> where, where Dennis Hopper and, Tech, and, and Weatherface are fighting with the chainsaw. Bad ass. That movie, I think, is just thinks it's stupid, and that's fine, and that's that what movie, that movie. Yeah, that movie's in on the joke, one hundred percent. That is. Yeah, and the narration since the start of this movie almost sounds like Bob Dylan. He's like, "This is chainsaw killers in nineteen seventy-five, and they're going around all this stuff." And- <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're listening to Mister Tambourine Man. Um, <laughs> and then the the like credits pop up is like this really awful horror movie. Like music starts. It's like, you know, like. 
and it says Ultra Muchos Inc. Presents. And when I saw that for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, yes. I'm in for the good stuff. <laughs> this is, to me, this is cinema. <laughs> you know, like the whole like sickos like meme. It's yeah. like me looking at that on my screen and being like, oh, man, I love it. Like, <laughs> like other people be like, Ultra Muchos. What? <laughs> Sounds like something you would find on a Tex-Mex restaurant's menu. <laughs> yeah. Anything that could double as a production studio or like a taco trailer place. Yeah. That's, that's where you want to be for your movies. <laughs> yes. Um, so then, you know, that stops and we get our first shot of the movie and introduces Renee Zellweger's Jenny. She's applying makeup for prom night. Who's ugly. Yeah, she's so gross. <laughs> That'll bring us into Barry in, in a minute. But we cut from from Jenny getting ready um, to all of a sudden we have a teacher talking in the, in the with the parking lot and the students, and they're just like running around. There's this guy peeing, and someone chases him. And the teacher's like, "I think you're chasing the wrong tail, there, buddy," or whatever. Yep. Um, and we this introduces one of my favorite segments throughout this podcast. It's just like the quotes this movie has. Yes. I have one right off the gate from this. <laughs> please, please. I, I think it might be the same one. She's built like a battleship. <laughs> Who has ever used that like terminology to describe the female anatomy? Ever. I was going to do the one where like after the students run away, like the teachers is gladly having a lot of fun with these students, right? Yeah. And then they, the, the students run away and he goes like, oh my God, where have you been? The wedding's going on inside. We need to put you in the top tier. I'm excited. They look good. It's the best thing. I fucking hate kids. <laughs> <laughs> Completely contradicts himself. Like he, he goes for a swig of beer and says, I fucking hate kids. And I'm like, but you were just talking with them like a second ago. You very lively. Like, <laughs> like I'm assuming it's a teacher because he's like, oh, he's definitely old, too old to be a high school student. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, it could just be this random guy in this Texas town that's just like, I'm just going to patrol like the prom and see what happens. True. They do, they do things different down there. <laughs> um, we then cut into the interior of the school and we find uh, a girl named Heather uh, who is searching for her boyfriend Barry and we get this very odd scene where this teenage girl starts speaking nonsense and makes no sense whatsoever like that has no relation to the plot never comes back up again she's like I don't I don't I don't I don't know like it's just completely out of nowhere I thought at the end well I don't spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> I thought at the end when that girl came by on the gurney, that was going to be her. That would make more sense. Or it'd be at least <laughs> something. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's like, why would you put this in a movie and not call it back to it later at some point? But they yeah, and I think we'll get into it later too. But there's also a couple moments where it's like, wait a minute, is that person actually dead? Like, <laughs> we never found out. <laughs> Um, so next we meet Barry, the, the the guy Heather is chasing, and we find him making out with some stranger. Go ahead. The best character. He's. I have more quotes from him than I do anyone else, and it's not even close. <laughs> um, she Heather finds Barry making out with some stranger, which sparks Heather to run away and get into Barry's car, which apparently was unlocked. He just left it unlocked, you know, not, not very responsible. 1995, things were different back then. Yeah, and, and Barry, like, does this parkour challenge, which is, like, just as bad as as it sounds. And gets in the car. She's driving away. And she's like, Barry, why would you kiss this girl? Or whatever. And word for this is what he said. He says, once. I kissed her once. What's wrong with that? It, it's like I can't even talk to my friends anymore. I can't believe how possessive you are. 
He's like blaming this girl for being like, why are you cheating on me? He's like, why are you so possessive? He's like the classic, and I think this is if we're going to go in the argument for satire, Barry is a character that is riddled in like the classic 90s jock. They're like, yes. yes. Yeah. Will this guy be the first one who gets killed, please? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like, I hate this guy, but I also understand his function and, and everything else. Right. Yeah, of course. And um, this is a, yeah. a genre rich with tropes. Mm. Not just this movie, but like these movies literally don't work without certain tropes. So, yeah. We fulfill the final girl trope eventually, which we'll get into. But yeah. Uh, and so eventually we find out that Jenny and her date, Sean, are also in the car. I guess they were smoking weed. Which, yeah, I found that part to be weird, too, because you smoke in the car, and wouldn't you realize that somebody's smoking literally less than two feet behind you? Well, and, like, the second you get into the car, they're, like, hotboxing it. You'd think yeah. they'd be like, wait, what's going on back? What's yeah, that smell? Weird. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Barry starts debating with Jenny and Sean about why he needs to have sex with Heather. And this is another quote. He says, look, guys need sex, okay? It's bad for you to get all worked up and then not get it. You get prostate cancer is that what you want heather blaming her again because he's like why won't you just do what i want <laughs> <laughs> there's also a great quote too it's just so it's so mean like you would never be able to say like half of the things that are <laughs> where barry just goes i have it written down here Please. uh <laughs> jenny says something about dates and he looks at her and says you'd never have a date in your life <laughs> Renee Zellweger, he says this. Who just has glasses on. That's her only exactly. flaw. And that's what I was going to put in here, too. Like, they, it's like, well, they didn't even, like, put, like, you know, it's not like she has, like, a makeup thing where her face is deformed or anything yeah. like that. They literally just were, like, put your hair in your face and wear glasses. <laughs> and everyone's like, you're hideous. Yeah, oh, my God, you're so ugly. But she does have a great physique, as Heather notes later. Which <laughs> is so weird. <laughs> There's a weird obsession with... Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then they keep driving, and I'm going to skip over one of my other favorite quotes because whatever. Uh, no, no, okay. It, okay. Okay. So Sean's like, hey, don't believe him, Heather. Like, apparently he used to tell Gross his father was a doctor and that they could get breast cancer that didn't get felt up enough. So Barry's a sexual assault man from like age five, apparently. Uh, and this is Barry's response as he takes accountability. He goes, okay, I lied. Big deal. It's not my fault they're stupid enough to believe it. He, he, as a child, he's feeling up girls. Just to recap, and at age eighteen, he's like, "Hey, it's not my fault. They're dumb." He put. He's made his peace with it, man. <laughs> he's like, "This that's, is how I feel." Every guilty person's like, fess up to, to not apologizing. I've made my peace with it. Or just like, "Hey, it's your fault. You're stupid." Yeah, you're ugly. Um, Shut up. <laughs> so they keep driving along, and you know they're like, they get lost pretty quick. Another horror trope, you know, to to Kim Hankel's credit. You didn't. And, miss you Go ahead. Another great quote. Please. Wouldn't it be really cool if we got into a car accident and all died right now? I <laughs> wrote a song about it. <laughs> that was up next. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was in the seed or next seed. But, but <laughs> she's like, would it be awesome if we died? And I was like, what? <laughs> and then Barry looks at her and I, I did count it. He says it eight times. He says, shut up. And then it comes <laughs> to them getting in a car accident. <laughs> yeah i don't know where they're just like on this dirt road which opens up another question of like so they were at their prom in their high school in their hometown it's not like you know they're in college and like you don't know the roads that well and within three minutes of driving they're lost yeah maybe just turn around <laughs> yeah and they, they say that barry's like oh the roads are suck 
Yeah, yeah, Roku like, suck. There's never a place to turn around. It's like, I don't think I've ever found a road that I couldn't turn around on. Well, maybe, but not that one. But I, I would keep driving until I find one and then just hit it. Um, but they don't get a chance because they get into a car crash, like you said. Uh, and they're like, okay, we got to go help uh, find the other driver or find like help for the driver, uh, which introduces us to Darla, a real estate agent. Yes. Um, she calls her boyfriend Vilmer. Odd name immediately. I wasn't sure if it was Vilmer, Wilmer, or what. Yeah. Uh, and as she uh, waits for Vilmer to call her back, she brags about her boob job to the teenage children. Mm-hmm. And to display them. <laughs> Which is another weird thing where a farmer throws a rock in her window and instead of chastising them, they're like, let me call the cops. She yeah. whips out her boobs and is like, yeah. oh, they just want to see them or whatever. Country boys. Yeah. <laughs> Also, do you know anything about the girl who played Darla? No, I know she was in the Eminem uh, music video as Eminem's mom in the research I was doing. But yeah, Tony Perinsky, she was in Varsity Blues. I was like, where have I seen her before? And she was like <clears throat> one of those kind of young starlets mm-hmm. who was proje- projected to kind of be like a Renee Zellweger or something like that, where I was like, you're going to be the next big starlet and kind of <laughs> never really materialized. But I was like, wait a minute, I've seen that that shirtless person before. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> She's the teacher in Varsity Blues doing a little sexy dance. Did you have that thought before or after you saw her boobs in this? In this, Well, they're definitely not the same boobs because I did, oh. I then did some Google research comparing them from Varsity Blues and Texas Chainsaw, and it's clear that she has on. Like, prosthetics. Okay, wow, great. So the budget, we now see where it's going. That is a level of research we do over here at the Blues <laughs> We get in depth. And breaths, you would be, you know. <laughs> We're uh, so we return to Sean, the other guy, uh, Jenny's date, and it's here we meet Matthew McConaughey's Vilmer and his metal leg. He's got like, what would you describe it as? Yeah. Not necessary at all. He just has it. He has like this yeah. weird like race. Not described like as if like there looks like there's damage to his leg or he doesn't ever say, I got in an accident. <laughs> you know, like it's just there. I don't know how you would describe that. You know what I would actually, you know what I would say? That is a person who was alive in 1995's vision of what like an animatronic leg would look like in 2022. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm going to try and find a reference picture real quick because I, I want to see if I can look at it and be like, okay, let me figure this out. <laughs> the noises it makes, it's ridiculous, yeah. It's like, <laughs> but there's like, a, there's like a hose connecting it to his belt that yeah, like wraps no up to like the side and like his ankle or like uh, it's awful. It's terrible. It's uh, it, and it looks terrible too. And there's no reason for it at all. It has like no impact on the plot whatsoever, besides the very end, and that is so minute. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that part's ridiculous too. Um, so Vilmer gets out of his his, uh, his trucker, his wrecker, and he examines the other driver on the ground, and he just snaps his neck and starts laughing. Yeah, that part is ridiculous. He's like, he's dead, and Sean's <laughs> like, Nah, man, he's. I think he's okay. And then he just snaps his neck and's like, he's dead now. Yeah, he is dead now. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to say, too, like, we are tearing this movie apart. And this is kind of like a midnight movie to me. When I watched this, it felt like a midnight movie. Something that's just kind of preposterous. There are two Oscar winners in this movie. And they're good at it. Decade Decider. And, like, yeah, there's, there's flashes in this movie. And we can get into it later, too. I know we're kind of still getting our foot yeah, into yeah. the second episode of how we want to go about things, but like there's scenes where Renee Zellweger is good in this movie. Like when she's in the trunk and W keeps zapping her over and over again, like it is a disturbing scene. It works as far as a horror movie would go. And she's there's great. With Vilmer, 
that are like creepy when he's in the kitchen and he's like sitting on her lap and just staring in her eyes. And like, like shoving his fingers is, down her throat. Yeah. yeah. The dialogue is terrible. And it just doesn't work. But the performances, you can like you can see that there's talent within those two. So. Um, speaking of dialogue, Sean starts to run away and Vilmer says my favorite line in the movie, I think. I, this is in my top five. I want to see if we can get like a top five quotes in this movie when this is over. But like okay. this is up there and he goes, well, first I'm going to kill you. It ain't no fucking biggie. Like <laughs> what's going to happen after? What's the plan? What second? Like, <laughs> I just love that Kevin goes like, "What's like a '90s word?" Biggie. Okay, so like, what if woman's like, "What's the biggie?" Like, who cares? What's the? I'm just gonna kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no biggie. Yeah, and it's just like so sudden out of nowhere. He looks Sean dead in the eye and says that line, and like whips out his arms as Sean starts to run away and just starts laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we return to the real estate office. Uh, you can see the service station from the first movie, I believe, in the background. Yeah, some great, great cross cutting and like building tension. Just that's like classic cinema right there. (laughs) Darla says that the man who runs it is a loser and that he will shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, Seems meaningless. We'll come back into that later, I I suppose. Um, Eventually, Vilmer uh, reverses into Sean and runs him over and kills him. And as he does so repeatedly, Vilmer appears to have an orgasm, was my take. Yeah, that part was. I didn't like that part. That was, <laughs> no, that's uh, the part you didn't like. Yeah. Um, I also think that Sean fully deserved to die after Vilmer was chasing him in reverse for like five minutes going three miles per hour. It's like, dude, just jump off to the side of the road. And, and the best doing? part is they're not, it's not like they're like, like a, oh, <laughs> oh, no. He does nothing to help himself. And they're not even like a main road. Like no. they're just in the woods. He can just run into the forest and be fine. He's safe. I have grown up on roads that look identical to that road. No one is running me over going three miles per hour. And Sean probably has at least like, you know, I have at least probably 200 pounds on Sean. And, I mean, this is why we're called the road dogs. You know, we, we know how to run these roads to survive. Unlike Sean. <laughs> Come on now. Um, in the woods, as Barry and Heather and Jenny start to walk back to the car, uh, they split up. Barry and Heather start chasing a motorcycle and Jenny starts whispering in the woods as if they'll hear them, even though they've run off about 40, 40 feet down the road. Mm-hmm. she's like barry heather yeah. i'm like what is she doing there, there's no way on earth they're gonna hear her like they're chasing a car they're sprinting and she's yeah. whispering mm-hmm. um which prompts one of the more unexplained parts of the movie where a garbage bag just falls on her face yeah yeah and she's completely like bewildered by it. <laughs> yeah. it's the first garbage bag she's ever encountered in her life and then this is like the same thing of like <clears throat> i don't know why this is in this movie like the same thing as like that girl in the beginning of the school, which is like, why is this here? Like, what purpose is the service side? You're just like, I want to jump scare. Yeah, but it, and that's the thing, man. It's like there is not one scare that works in this movie, that included. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that in like just a completely disparaging way, but like there were parts in this movie where I was like, all right, well, maybe like it will get scary now. And then I looked at the length, and I mean, I only found the theatrical cut, which is an hour and 26 minutes. And I looked at the length. I'm like, oh, man, there's only like 43 minutes left. So it should have gotten scary by now. You know what I mean? You would so, hope there'd be at least one moment. You're like, OK, or like something unsettling, but nothing. It's so ineffective in, in every approach to be scary. They think this one cut of like this dead like animal on the road would be scary, but it's not because it looks so fake. You're just like, whatever. Right. And kind of the original Texas Chainsaws weren't always about just jump scares. It was about like they were butchers and kind of the grotesque nature of like meat. And then combined with them being cannibals and like how disgusting the house was and the fridge and all of that stuff. It's like, 
none of that stuff even works. Like the set piece looks like something you would walk through at Universal Studios. Like I don't it just. And and kind of like going on to that, like the within the first twenty minutes of the first movie, you have that guy cutting himself in the back of the van, which is just like eerie and creepy, and like why is he doing that for no reason? Right. But this movie has none of that. No. Um, and as Heather and Barry are walking, she keeps saying they're going to get killed. There's people following them, which kind of feels meta and whatever. Yeah. Uh, Barry calls her stupid and brings up the first quote that I thought was like, "This could be interesting," but they never explore it. Uh, she goes, "I'll tell you what it is. I'm a bitch." I'm just like my mother. She can't stand my father, but she stays with him because she wants a certain kind of life. I don't care what anyone thinks. That's still the best way to get it. <laughs> That's an interesting like idea of like the way that in the 60s and 50s, the prom queen would settle down, marry someone, even if they didn't completely love them because that's just what you do. It's a way you get your life. That's kind of like your fate because you don't have the political or personal autonomy or financial autonomy to live on your own. Mm. But this movie, <laughs> it just says it. It leaves it alone. What's you think about it for a solid second? It's like, all right, come on, let's keep going. Yeah, we've, we've got other stuff to do. Like, We're also yeah. trying to figure out what that other stuff is. But like, we never meet Heather's parents and, or, and be like, oh, interesting. Like, their mother clearly is pretty miserable, but she stays with it because, like, they're wealthy. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we just were just shown it. And again, I find this, I think we might have talked about this off mic, but I find this movie to be one of those movies where you couldn't make make this kind of movie today right like everybody is so mean and i'm not standing here saying that like i'm an emotional basket case and i need everybody to like meet my needs as far as like being nice to me but there is not like nobody says anything nice to anybody in this movie the four leads included you could say velmer is like the nicest person because he like says somewhat nice things about jenny like you're a smart girl once yeah but that's yeah. it. <laughs> I think he tells her she has a nice body. I mean, he's straddling her while she's chained to a chair. But yeah, he's like, I'm going to murder you soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then Barry and Jenny, or Barry and Heather, arrive at the house that is clearly the, the Sawyer House or Slaughterhouse. I'm not sure what their last name is anymore from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And it's here we meet W and Weatherface. Um, we meet Weatherface. W. W's awful. He's one of the worst characters I've ever seen. He's one of the worst horror characters <laughs> of all time. He's in the running for the worst, but yeah. He just quotes like old philosophers and generals, and it has no purpose. Don't make any sense in relation to like what anybody (laughs) says. You know what I mean? I can't pull off an example right now. I had one, but like I feel like the first person he quotes is Ulysses S. Grant. Yes, it's an absolute no relation to what the person says. It's like I'm scared or something like that. Like you know, he's like that's my girlfriend. It's okay. Yeah, he's like, we're gonna draw this line right here on this sand, and we ain't gonna move. So that's Ulysses S. Grant. You probably didn't know that. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it just it makes no sense. Seven summers or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, in my research, uh, Kim Hinkle said he actually knew someone who would do that, and I don't know why you would then see that and be like, you know what, that's great for my movie. But you know, I digress. Interesting choice, Kim. Um, When we meet Leatherface, it actually does some interesting things. Uh, He's an incompetent wreck. He just screams and shouts, and he looks far more pained, like, trying to grab this girl than anything. Um, but he also looks like trash because the wig is awful. The mask is so loose on his face that it just looks cheap, and it's not scary. Yeah. Like, I, I know we want to talk about Weatherface more, but this was, like, one of the scenes now that I'm really thinking about this movie. It's like, okay, I see what they're trying to do. Right. In other movies, like you've told, like said, Weatherface would grab her and be, like, an efficient killing machine. But in this, he's just, like, he knocks over a broom and screams. 
Yeah, and you know he's distracted two times. You know it, it cuts to the like tension, the quote unquote tension between Barry and W, and then it cuts back to Heather on the porch. He touches her hair two times. Mm. He's like more ogling at her as like a cute little object of affection than like like a, like I've said, kind of like a Jason or a Michael Myers who would have just like slit her throat or cut her head off in some crazy way. You know what I mean? He's interested. Like he's smelling her hair. He's like, oh, interesting. Like what's her hair product or something? And then when he finally gets her in the house, he just dumps her in her freezer. Yeah. But she kicks the door open because you can, and then he has to like drop I don't know like an engine to like yeah. keep it shut. In the cooler, yeah. And there's also a part when she gets herself in that room and he's like knocking over the door where you're talking about where the mask just looks so terrible. Like he's the only Leatherface whose mouth I've been able to see. You know what I mean? <laughs> and his teeth, like you could see his teeth and his eyes yeah. so vividly. It, it looks like something you and I would make in like shooting a home video. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like it's so poor. I don't know what the budget was on this. I'm sure it was a shoestring, but like. Man, some of this stuff is really brutal. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't at least like this is our villain, or I guess co-villain. Like maybe yeah. we should put more time into this. Um as Heather's screaming, Barry is uh getting into the house and he's completely unfazed by how like tarnished it is and how much of a wreck it is and everything else. <laughs> like, <Speaking of> this. <laughs> like it must smell <laughs> awful in there. Yeah. Um and it's so only when he's the towel made out of nipples behind him. <laughs> It's only when he sees a corpse in a bathtub, he's like, uh-oh. Uh, Leatherface hits Barry over the head with a sledgehammer, and I swear to God, that is the last time we see Barry in this movie. Yeah, and it's and I'm looking at the, like, kind of reading along, just, like, because I know we want to hit some of these beads, and it's hard to do with this movie, especially how absolutely absurd the plot is. But, like, this movie is pretty, or this Wikipedia page is pretty bold in suggesting that it says, Barry discovers a corpse in the bathtub. He's then killed by Leatherface with a sledgehammer. After killing Barry, Leatherface impales Heather on a meat hook. Uh -huh. It's really bold to imply that Barry was killed because there's no blood. There's no like couple of blows where Leatherface stands over him and admires his work or whatever. It's like he stomps he on him a little him bit. once and it cuts to him putting Heather on a meat hook. Yes, which is important. I thank you for bringing that up. Our next scene is uh, Vilmer Matthew McConaughey finds Jenny on the road. I don't know how. Um, and, and just like picks her up and he's like, says this little soliloquy about like how some dude killed someone who was very unoriginative or un like uncreative, um, which should have been like the first red flag. She should have just jumped out of the car then. I don't know. But Jenny, come on, come back to us. Yeah. Should have never even gotten in that car. <laughs> uh, and then Vilmer is eventually like, take a look and she sees Sean's corpse hanging from the, the back of like one of the hooks, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, what you were saying is ludicrous. Go ahead. Yeah, just her reaction. You know, I don't want to disparage two-time Oscar winner Renee Zellweger because <clears throat> I think what was this? Her like first or second movie? Same yeah, movie? yeah. Same like first or second, something like that. I think. He yeah, had, yeah, yeah. He had, worked, he had done a student short or whatever, but yeah, she looks at Sean's body, who was someone she was just I don't know if intimate with, but you know, laying down in the back seat of a car with smoking weed, looking up at the stars. Looks at this friend. <laughs> And just goes, oh my god! I just remember, like squinting to look across the street to see like, like a car accident or something. Like, oh my god, that's yeah. Crazy. My other favorite part is like the car pulls up next to her. It has to like cruise to like get to her. She doesn't see the two dead bodies flailing in the wind. Yeah, no. Like, I guess I guess she really needs glasses, but whatever. It's true. This is true. Um, she eventually jumps out of the car. Uh, Leatherface, who somehow communicated with Vilmer about where Jenny is or why he was picking up Jenny, even though there's no way for him to know he was going to pick up Jenny, <laughs> finds Jenny, 
And Weatherface and her get into, I would say, like a 10-minute chase sequence. Maybe that's a little too much, but you know what I mean. It might be one of the worst attempts at a chase sequence. Absolutely. Um, I wrote, I know we're not looking for an actual critical critique here, but this middle section of the movie always loses me. It's just so loud and abrasive and nonstop. Yeah. Uh, it's a yeah, 50... Robert Banks or Robert... I, Jax, Robert, yeah. Robert Jax, I apologize. Um, may he rest in peace. Who portrays Leatherface in this movie is screaming during the whole entire time he's on screen screen and like it must have been an exhausting performance for him combined with everything else like that performance has with the gear you have to wear and the mask like he is screaming the whole entire movie. Mm-hmm. he's like climbs onto a roof and like is chopping away at like cinder blocks with his chainsaw <laughs> cinder blocks that look like they were made out of like paper mache like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we do get some kind of interesting things. Jenny grabs onto like a like a telephone wire and then falls of the window like a garden thing. But um, for the interest of time, we'll just say that like she somehow gets back to Darla's real estate office. We don't know how. And Darla sues her and says like she's going to call for help. But that help is just W who gets more screen time, which she shouldn't have. He gets there in like five seconds. Yeah. Which makes, also makes yeah. no sense as to why these kids would be lost. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, he uses the cattle prod and gets Jenny in the trunk and um, Darla goes and gets pizza. A cop is like, hey, you need, you need help there, man? What do, you, what do you got in that trunk or whatever? And she like forces with him and somehow gets out of it. And it's just like, cool, there you go. Um, as Darla returns him with a pizza, we find that Heather has somehow gotten herself off the meat hook. No, Never, ex- never explained, never shown. She never says like Jenny, like there's just nothing. She's just on the ground, and which follows. <laughs> this was the first moment during this movie where I finally texted you and said, "Like, did I? Did, should I have gotten? Should I have watched <laughs> out of this movie? Like, do, would the director's cut show me like how Heather got there?" And you were like, "No, I've seen all of them, and that's never." That's no, true. it's just like, which is just crazy because like she is impaled on a meat hook. Yes, it, it's suspended in the air. Yeah. Like, like, unless she like grabs it and somehow can like dig it deeper and then flip out of it, but she's not a gymnast as far as we know. <laughs> it's never established how she could possibly do this or if it's humanly possible. She just gets out and is on the ground. Yeah, the most information we know about her is that she's a bitch. That's yeah, and it. that her sure mom is really like settled down for the American like life. That's the best way to get it. Um, and then Darla, in one of the funniest scenes in the movie, grabs a wooden stick and like really yeah. thinks about it for five seconds and then weakly beats her with the stick. And I was like, all right, you stay here. She's like, okay. Which partly might be her character because she's <laughs> kind of the only one in the family who has maybe a shred of dignity. And like, also they're doing these acts of like terrible violence yeah. to women. So I think that she kind of like has a, a little bit of sympathy for her. But yeah, the, the hits are just so, it looks like you would be like how you would try to get like a, like a bug <laughs> off your windshield or something. the paper. <laughs> Like you don't want to smash the glass. You're like, okay, let me just like tap it. It will be like, yeah, I don't want to get his guts all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Like that would have done more damage than the hits with a stick. Um, They're just like, okay. Uh, When we meet Leatherface, now he's in drag. He's dressed up like a grandmother. He's got like earrings and like a gray wig on. And it's kind of odd, which is the first like really thing of like Leatherface cross-dressing. But we'll get into that later because there's a lot to say about Leatherface. Uh, Darla like fixes Jenny and it says like you don't think the FBI has this place under 24 hour surveillance you don't think there's transmitter in all these walls before then suggests Wilmer might be from outer space uh, which isn't very outlandish because he then bites Heather's nose off which is just like okay 
Yeah. Sure. Um, which brings us to the, the dumbest scene. This is like a five-minute stretch here. When we get to the kitchen, he bites her nose off. Where this movie has some of my favorite stuff I've ever seen in any movie. <laughs> because Jenny grabs the shotgun, points it at Vilmer. In response, he starts to cut himself across the chest. He's like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? this? And yeah. it's like, what? He then attacks Darla. A lot of energy. And I think, just real quick, in this yeah. movie... I've, I've watched some interviews with him and he said his first couple early movies were a lot of him just showing up on set and saying what he was told to say. I think that works in a movie like Dallas Buyers Club. In a movie like this, he, it really kind of goes off the rails. I would say he's devishly insistent as his character of like, he's always demanding things and it's like, in a, just like, he's a horrific person. And I also think he's very good for somebody who is just absolutely one of the most handsome men on the, on the planet. He does a good job in this movie of making himself look ugly. Yes, he does. His hair is all swept back and the leg thing. His eyes are always bugging. He's got his face kind of scrunched up with his nose and his jaw protruding. He he does do something in this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think this is a good point to just be like, this movie isn't all bad. There are some points where you're like, hey, like they're trying, I think, somewhat earnestly. Right, I agree. Not much success, but they're trying. (laughs) They're trying nonetheless, and that's all that counts. Um, Jenny grabs a shotgun, points it at Vomer. He's cutting himself, like I said. Vomer then attacks Darla because she's like, let it go, babe, or whatever. Um, Jenny points the gun back at him. <laughs> Vomer grabs the barrel of the gun, opens his mouth, and like puts the shotgun barrel in his mouth and salivates. And is like, ah, like, do it, pull the trigger, like Heath Ledger. He then, <laughs> she shoots the <laughs> She shoots the gun, it's empty. So he snatches out of her hand and then lifts it over his head like a Tuscan Raider. And he goes like, <laughs> He goes like, It starts slapping himself in the face with one hand. Mm-hmm. And it's just insane. Yeah, it's batshit crazy at that point. Which is kind of, I felt when I, that scene to me felt like Texas Chainsaw too. Like the whole scene where, where like they kind of have uh, Leatherface when that girl's bound up and they're like, Bubba's got a girlfriend. Bubba's got a girlfriend. Like just like not necessarily bloody and gory scary, but like off kilter and disturbing and weird. Yeah, so the sense is he's just like, <laughs> he's just so primal. Makes no sense, yeah. Um, this brings me to my favorite part of the movie. Um, Jenny runs out of the house. She stumbles into a car, another one that is just unlocked conveniently. Great for her. And she accidentally backs up into the house. Would you say that's like the right way to describe that? Yeah, yeah. Vilmer, who has somehow gotten to the outside of the house and is on the roof, like inside like one of the trestles, I guess, like of the roof, jumps off the roof onto the car and makes the best noise I've ever heard. He goes, <laughs> as he's jumping and lands on the car. <laughs> he just goes, <laughs> not like... Not like an animalistic scream of like, ah, or like, like he was literally just doing, he goes, Moo. yeah, and and that's thought. what kills me with that movie, right? <laughs> it's like two seconds ago, he delivered a line where he says, do you think all I want to do is kill you? And I'm like, ooh, man, that was kind of sinister and creepy. And he delivered it well. And then he jumps onto a roof of a car within, just managed to get up in those trestles within 30 seconds, by the way. Yeah, and like he, she, she's <laughs> all like one shot of her running out, getting into the car, backing. And so if somehow he has climbed up to the second floor, yeah, got himself in position to jump off the roof and lands without like a, he lands perfectly. He's fine. Yeah. 
and my, has the ability to make that cool noise at the end too. <laughs> and this is what I've I've really thought about this time and why I think this is so funny, is that I I looked at this when I was watching it. That is not Matthew McConaughey making the jump, obviously. No. So that means <laughs> they did that in ADR. Yeah. So so they had time. It wasn't like, hey Matt, we got one shot of this. Whatever sound you make comes out. Whatever we got to use it. <laughs> yeah. They had time for for Kim Hanko to be like, you know what, Matt? Can you just give like a, just a yell? He was just like a scream, and he went boo, and they're like, great, we love it. We love that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they Matt, either were like, like come on. So that was either in the script or he did it, and they're like, cool. He one hundred percent did that. Yeah, I think so. He definitely did that. I think the script was probably just like Vilmer jumps and screams, and he was like, I'm not going to scream. I'm going to go, Dude, it doesn't even need the ant screams. Just Vilmer jumps. And <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so then they get back Jenny in the house. He knocks her out with the barrel, the butt of the shotgun, and she wakes up and comes to him there at a dining table, just like the first movie. And, um, she starts screaming in horror. <laughs> and this is where I wonder if this is like a fun, really environment. Because Matthew McConaughey just gets in Renee Zellweger's face and just screams in her ear. Mm-hmm. Like, just go like, ah, like mocks her and screams right in her face and starts spitting on her chest. Slaps her in a, in a way that looks really real. Yeah. And like, I know they're young actors, but I was like, man, I feel like there's got to be a moment where you're like, hey, like, is he getting too into this role? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, we meet Leatherface again. Important to note, he is now in full drag. He's like putting lipstick on. We have a shot that's very similar to the first movie where, or the first scene where Jenny's putting lipstick on and contrasts with Leatherface. He has like a wig. He's got a dress. They made him prosthetic boobs for the movie, which he's now wearing. Yeah, maybe, it's a whole getup. Like a like a matriarch outfit too. Like mm. a, like, a, like a motherly grandmother figure too. Um, and I wrote this down. Finally, at an hour and seven minutes, we figure out what the fuck is going on. Well, that's that's a really, really, really loose term, yes. But as Vilmer explains, uh, Leatherface wants to wear Jenny's face because he got tired of his old one, um, which is which is weird because he never knew Jenny existed until tonight. So yeah. I guess they were just on the prowl and they stumbled into this, and it was like awesome. Looking for new faces, man. <laughs> um. Jenny gets tired of this and she's like, this sucks. I hate you all. I'm going to leave and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And and she looks at Weatherface and goes, you sit the fuck down and shut up. And Weatherface has this like very like weak like, moment where he's like, Arr. Yeah. Um, something that would be in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yes. Yes. Um, and then suddenly these men in suits show up. Am I missing anything quite yet? I like this is a thing you're not missing anything and I, if I was listening to this I'd be like wait a minute what the fuck is going on <laughs> you're not missing anything you've hit almost every beat yeah so I think what happens is Vilmer I think lights Heather on fire at this point and she's just like cowering in the corner afterwards oh yeah he does I was trying to think that yeah he does yeah. where he's like burn he like shouts burn and then like as Renee Zellweger is crying he pulls her face right next to his groin and like keeps yelling at the fire to like burn. Darlo grabs an extinguisher and, and puts out Heather, but she's still alive, we think. And then Renee Zellweger starts crying again, and he starts mocking her. And then the doorbell goes off, which like I'm surprised this house has a doorbell because the front door got torn up by Leatherface. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> w got right to work actually in between quoting things. Yeah, Jesus. Um, measure, measure twice, cut once. <laughs> I'll told him once, I'll tell him again. It's not going to work. Whatever he says to like the old grandpa at the table. Um, at the door Ooh, is values. <laughs> at this door is these men in suits, um, and they're talking to Vilmer. We find out they're his superiors. I don't know how that works. Um, the the, <laughs> the implication is that they're an Illuminati slash secret society. Yes. New World Order group. And to Kim Hinkle's credit, the, the truck that Wilmer's driving is titled Illuminati construction or whatever. So like it is kind of hinted at, not really at all. It's just yeah, there. It's kind of just kind of smashed over your head. <laughs> that's not really, that's not really a tease. But you like you're Illuminati truck. <laughs> Like I want to give him credit, but if you're watching this movie in the theater, right? This you you see that you know interesting, but this movie's going so fast and it's so loud and it's so confusing everywhere else. There's no way you remember this. Like, oh yeah, I see where yeah. this came from. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And when I first watched this movie, I, I had to pause. And this is one of those moments and just laugh and be like, "What the Illuminati?" Um, and <laughs> and he kind of explains of this wasn't supposed to be this way or whatever like filmer has to do whatever he's supposed to do and this brings up to our second i think like interesting idea this movie has like did did you get anything from this scene because i want to hear your thoughts because i feel like it's been me a lot today yeah i i did and i just want to say just kind of for listener's sake too this character is not named in the in the movie he is he is his name's rothman no i know oh, oh yes his name is rothman but he's never referenced by that name in the movie. So the Illuminati guy is Rothman, if we say it. Like, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had some thoughts about this. I thought that this was a massive commentary on like being a director, not being able to deliver the scares, kind of the way that um, there's some dialogue that Rothman delivers here um, and later in the movie to me, where when I was talking with you, I was like, at this point, I felt like it would be silly not to say that this is a satire or a parody. Um, he says that this is supposed to be a transcendental experience. Um, and it's not supposed to, he wants to show them true unsolicited pain or something like that. Or yeah, whatever. True unsolicited horror or something like that. So I, I felt like all of that was a commentary on horror at that time frame, not delivering on the goods. Mm-hmm. Um, because this whole movie to that point has not delivered on the goods until Vilmer <laughs> oddly crushes Heather's head with his mechanical leg, which is the first time that ever has any. Yeah. Right after these people leave. Yes. Right. And I honestly had a different take than you, I, although I think your take is valid. And this is one of the first times where I had this idea. Maybe it wasn't, but whatever. Of I think this movie's trying to say something about emasculation and domination. Because we mm-hmm. see Vilmer continually humiliate these teenagers mentally, physically, emotionally, the way he's like mocking Jenny, she's crying. The way he's delighting, like Sean, of like it's like, like the, it ain't no biggie line is funny, yeah. but it's very lax. And be like, look, I'm gonna kill you. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, like that is a very humiliating feeling that he must feel. The way he puts his fingers in Jenny's mouth, you know, he's in complete control. And when he walks into the dining room, he says, "Like, welcome to my world." Mm-hmm. He is the highest power, like in this universe that he has established. But when Rothman shows up, who by the way has like this belly pierced chest, yeah, you know, like these weird scarring, which I, apparently was supposed to be something, but we have no idea. Which also feminizes that character a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We see something else with Rothman's introduction is that Vilmer is a subordinate. 
and that yeah. he is is you know he can be humiliated just as much as these kids the way that Rothman goes like listen here little boy or like don't be like a little boy I think he calls him a cripple at one point and as stupid as this is like Matthew McConaughey has a great moment in this scene where Rothman is like backing him into a corner and McConaughey is just shaking in fear and making like these weird guttural submissive grunts mm-hmm. and and I feel like in another less in a worse actor's hands this scene is just like like more confusing McConaughey is really just like he's like swallowing a lot and he's like like back he's just like not looking at Roth and he won't make eye contact but he's allowing himself to get pushed back and I I just was like I think this is supposed to be a thing of like Rothman is bringing him to a place of mental fragility and pointing out his physical shame and it's only when Rothman leaves that Vilmer does crush out the skull like you said because he needs to feel good Vilmer needs to have that power and control again which is why he immediately does that and he needs to dominate and alleviate or alleviate his own submissiveness. And when Vilmer finishes, <laughs> he starts cutting himself and crying. He right. basically resorts to self-harm because he feels weak. He felt small. And we see this like emasculation with Leatherface as well, in the sense of he's dressing up like a woman. And like you said with Rothman, he's kind of feminine as well. And like Leatherface is just a drag queen who listens to like Marlene Dietrich and like paints his red like lips red so I, I got that scene out of it was just like the way there's just like domination and control in this universe i thought yeah but then i kind of also <clears throat> think of it too it's like well the reason that rothman and like his gang like are mad at them is their own fault because it's under his direction that they kind of fail <laughs> it, it, to me that was kind of like it, again like kind of like self-referential to the movie like uh-huh. Everyone is, everyone is incompetent. We talked about Leatherface a little bit on the porch playing with the hair. Okay, then he goes into the house and he has to break down the door. And then it's, he has to put her back in the cooler, what, three times? And yeah. then have to put the motor on top of it to keep her there. And then he's chasing her through the water. He's less than five inches away from her and he misses her every single time. Yeah. And he's dressed as a female in that um, chase scene, which also kind of, I felt, lend itself to what you're talking about about the emasculation and i think that's what they were kind of doing with leatherface as a character and dressing in a drag um and that's why he's so unsuccessful in that scene up until that scene he is still leatherface but when he chases jenny for the second time that's the first time we see him in drag and he's just a failure you know and complete failure and i think kind of just to circle back um something that i read in one of the articles i was looking up on uh, the collider was just about how with the lack of horror, horror doesn't have meaning by itself. It can't exist without an object. In this regard, it seems that the film is critiquing horror devoid of meaning, which is exactly what has been plaguing the genre, leading it to its decline. That's kind of, to me, what he's commenting on when he's saying, like, this was supposed to be a transcendent experience of horror and stuff like that. Like, you have been so saturated that, like, none of these kills in movies play for a disturbing piece they play for laughs mm-hmm. and uh that's just kind of what i took away parts parts of that from yeah from the scene i felt were, were, were kind of what i took away just kind of commentating on the industry as a whole yeah it's not just a straight like goofy slasher movie it does have something it's trying to say right and it kind of made me think like this movie came out in 1995 think if it came out five to ten years later with something like scream mm. You know what I mean? With all the self-referencing that series has done in the meta kind of um, jokes. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder. I think you're onto something there because this only got like a 23 theater release. Mm-hmm. I don't think... 
I don't think this movie would ever been a success at the box office, but I do wonder if more people saw it, would there be this like recognition of I think not what it's trying to say, but more just like the satire, like the way we talked about it more of just like there is something more to it than just like it's pointing it's pointing fun of the industry more than it is trying to be part of it. Yeah, I agree. It's but it is a really fine line with this movie too because there are, we've talked about it before. Like there's effective scenes where Vilmer is a scary villain and then he makes an absolutely ridiculous sound effect when he jumps on a car. So it's like, <laughs> are you in on the joke or like... Well, we're about to do another one of those. supposed to be laughing. <laughs> right, yeah. it, it, because Vilmer, after uh, Jenny like gets out, she uses like his like leg button. I don't know what to yeah. like, keep scrunching his leg up and down so he can't get her and she runs out of the house. Vilmer follows follows her and shouts as she's running away, Vilmer, get that bitch. She's my favorite line because he is Vilmer. (laughs) He's talking about himself in the third person. He's like amping himself up to go murder this teenage girl who's like causing problems all night, which maybe speaks more about his like mental displacement and association at that point after the Rothman exchange. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like (laughs) it's not like leather go get that fake go get that woman or like and it's just like i'm gonna do that but i'm gonna refer to myself as a third person and it's yeah. very odd it's very odd and like the way she gets away is odd she runs and i think what you're talking about with the emasculation where she says to leatherface sit the fuck down like don't you're not gonna tell me what to do like the way she escapes is absolutely ridiculous like she runs <laughs> right past them and everybody <laughs> has a chance to simply just reach out and grab her and stop her from getting away and they don't like no. Leatherface cowers behind Vilmer as she plays with his leg button, like yes. like a little puppy. He's like kind of like it's like as if she has like a flame and he's scared of fire. Like she, he's just like <laughs> cowering back. It just it makes no sense. Yeah. Um. So when she runs out, would you say it's fair to say it's like four in the morning? It, it looks like it's 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 later in the day than that. It's like it's really? completely bright out. It's like. Because when she runs out of the house, I thought it was at least like four, like or five. Well, I'm trying to think. When she runs out of the house, how soon after does she meet that couple? It's immediately, is it? <laughs> yeah. So it's like seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Yeah. So I thought it was like way more like dawn, but maybe that's something I've I've just always it's like pretty bright outside for dawn. Yeah. So eventually, so Jenny runs away. <laughs> our next cut is on a plane. <laughs> It's it's a yellow stunt plane that flies down over this field and then like flies away. And you're like, okay, sure. Um, and Renee Zellweger comes running out and there's this RV driving and it's like broad daylight now. So if there was a time jump, apparently they've been chasing her for like another three hours and she's still going, which is a cannon I want to roll with. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so the the woman's like. Mr. Spot, she there's a, there's this there's a monster with a chainsaw. We're gonna help this girl out. And, and so Jenny gets in the car, and as she gets in the car, you see that Vilmer's back in his wrecker somehow, and that Weatherface is on top of the wrecker with the chainsaw, <laughs> as if to imply that Vilmer was like right behind this entire time, but we hadn't seen him at all. Um, and they knock over the RV, and Jenny gets back out. And she starts running down the dirt road again with Leatherface and Vilmer chasing her. They've gotten out of the car now somehow, which we also don't see. And the plane... <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, it's like, you don't know what's coming, but like... If you haven't seen this movie, stop listening right now. <laughs> just for this one moment of like, the horror film... This is the villain of the movie. 
your breakout star, arguably. The plane flies down, hits you, Matthew McConaughey, with the with the wheel of the plane, and he's dead. That's how yep. he dies. Mm-hmm. What? The- <laughs> I've never seen a movie kill off its main villain more like abruptly and out of nowhere than than anything but this. It, it the- makes absolutely no sense. Because if you wanted to be a triumphant moment, there's something of like Jenny kills Wilmer. You know, like sure. Yeah. Yeah, he tackles her, and little does he know that she had a blade in her pocket or whatever, yeah. Yeah, or she, like, got a beer, broken beer bottle from the house. Yeah. But, like, exactly. we don't know who's piloting this plane. We have no idea where it came from. I think it's insinuated that it's Rothman. But there's no way to know that besides just you being like, I guess he would have yeah. the power to do that. Yeah. <laughs> a yellow plane, nonetheless. Really, really inconspicuous. My headcanon is that some guy was out farming his crops and he saw it. He's like, what the, what the heck? And he's like, I'm going to help this girl out. And that's why it happens. <laughs> um... <laughs> now, I have a theory here in the sense of like, we don't see Matthew McConaughey's face at all during this whole scene. He's actually wearing a hat. I don't think Matthew McConaughey filmed that scene. Probably not. Okay, I, I just wasn't sure if that was a hot take, but I guess it, it, it very, it very well could be somebody else. Yeah, because it's so odd that you would have your main villain and we don't see his face as he's getting killed. He's wearing a baseball hat, which he has been wearing all movie besides the very first scene we see him. Yeah, and the guy who does get hit by the plane, it's really quick. Does not look like the same body type as Matthew McConaughey. No, not at all. Um, long story short, uh, Rothman shows back up with a limo. Jenny gets in. He explains that whole it was like supposed to be a transcendental experience or whatever the hell, and and um, that's basically the movie. She gets taken to a hospital, and um, <laughs> yeah. it, we run into Sally from the first movie, which again opens up questions about canon. Yeah, and then the movie ends with Leatherface still on the dirt road swinging the chainsaw as a direct reference to the first movie. In drag. Yes, yeah, still in drag, and that is the film. I think you did a great job of summing that movie up right there. And like, I feel bad <laughs> for anybody who decided to listen to this episode and is trying to decipher, like, what story happened? Beat, story beat. Yeah, go I go th- watch that. If you have a Friday night, whoever's listening, get some friends together, get a couple beers. You'll have. A oh, good time yeah. that this is a great movie to like have a commentary with, even though you're not recording it. Just with like you and some people, it is not a great movie to watch by yourself, as I learned again, because I've only time I've watched this is with other people. So watching it by myself is a very like different experience, not as fun. But like, mm-hmm. if you embrace the schlock, whether you want to like credit it for the schlock or just discredit it, you can have so much fun with this movie. I think it could be a great midnight movie. I really do. Yes. Yes. Um, so that's that's the movie itself. So we kind of talked about it. I want to talk more about Leatherface. I feel like this is one of the things we've talked about and how different he is from the rest of the killers in the horror genre. Like the you would say he's like a marquee killer, right? Yeah, I, I think he's definitely probably tier B, but I definitely think he's he's definitely somebody who everyone who is a fan of the genre is familiar with. Yeah, I would say it's like him, Freddie, if there's like a Mount Rushmore. <laughs> like yeah. He's probably not the Thomas Jefferson or horror movie villains, but like, you know yeah. what I mean. Right. Yeah. Um, you were more interested in him than I am personally. I kind of didn't think of him as anything more just like the big goofus with the chainsaw, but we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. let's hear it. Well, it's not, I, I'm not just referencing this movie. Like this movie doesn't really do, do much to add to the character or what I've thought about. Shockingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is something that is always kind of like set, Leatherface apart for me and not in the sense that I like him more than some of the others but just of like the psyche and the analysis of the character 
any other person kind of like Jason, I think Jason is kind of a little close, but Michael Myers, Freddie, um, you brought up Hellraiser earlier. I guess if you want to use Jigsaw too, always yeah. are doing things for Sinister or uh, Coda. There's always a macabre reason. Like there's a I, goal. Yes. There's an end game, right? They're they're you know, Michael is just a killing machine. He's he's a punisher, right? He just wants to cause carnage. Jason is kind of always avenging his mother's death and his own death. Freddie was killed by a group of teens. Um, and then comes back to haunt their their fellow teens in their dreams or whatever it is. Ghostface is trying to get like notoriety and fame and, and whatever, right. and then kills yeah. them. There's really no reason for Leatherface other than the fact that people stumble into him, mm. uh, which I've always found kind of an interesting way to work. Um, he's not a guy with a high body count. You know, mm. some of the Jason movies, like, you know, Jason goes to New York or that's a movie? Yeah. <laughs> I got to watch that. Friday the 13th, New York. I can't remember. Yeah, there's one way to go. That sounds terrific. It's god awful. But it's like there's like 13, 14, 15 people who get killed, right? And then this movie and some of the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, I think like that might be the grand total until you get into the 2000s where it got absurd. So he's not he a guy. Kills, who, he kills what? One person in this movie? Barry? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, um, yeah, we assume. So he's not a killer who operates under the premise of being a machine. He kind of operates almost in a self-defense or at least in his mind. And that's another thing. He's, he's, he has a very childlike nature to him. He's almost like a boy. And I know that there's been um, a backstory where he's mentally challenged, but I know that that's also been discarded before too, mm-hmm. but there's also, there's just like this childlike nature, kind of like we're talking about on the porch when he's playing with the hair and like that stuff happens in the, in some of the other movies too. He's infatuated right. with like females, you know what I mean? Um, whether it's portraying himself as one or wearing their faces and stuff like that. Or whether it's like maternal desire or like a relationship desire, there's like an interest in it. Right. Yeah. There's an interest in, in fem, feminine femininity, if I didn't butcher that word, you got um, that, that none of the other serial killers or slashers have that I've found interesting and also lends itself to me kind of more like a real life thing. I, I find looking at Leatherface almost like looking at like an Ed Gein. Hmm. He's inspired by him. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and then kind of the other thing that interested me about the character um, was he's the only killer that you don't root for to die because you know, once he dies, he's not coming back. He doesn't have some supernatural power like Michael Myers or, or or like a Freddie. He's, he's kind of like a human boy. You know what I mean? Caught up in a man's body. And there's something more to it too, where he's a weapon deployed by his family. It very much feels like they are the twisted people who are like, Hey, this guy's big and tall and brooding. We can use him as a weapon Give him a chainsaw because he maybe knows how to use it on the farm, and there we right. go. Yeah, and that's kind of what I meant too. Like when I said he's almost like he's he thinks that he's acting in defense. Mm. Yes, instead of attacking, right? Um, and that it, not that that justifies his actions. He's still just as bad as all. Yeah, <laughs> he's a murderer. But like, um, you find yourself almost a little more confused with Leatherface than you do with some of the other like big name killers. Just kind of some of the things I noticed. It's not like there's a huge like character portfolio to work on. And frankly, a lot of the films in this franchise kind of stink. Um, <laughs> Some, <laughs> you mean like all of them, but the first. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I was going to say too. character for me in, in that, in that genre of killers. 
I was also going to say, I do think there's some of the femininity too, of the sense of like, that is a very unique take with all these horror films of whether we like this movie or not, which, you know, we admitted it's a bad movie. Hinkle does go out of his way to like play with this idea of gender mm-hmm. and, and Leatherface being a woman and desiring a woman and trying to have these different personalities of like one scene, he's a grandma trying to take care of everyone. The next scene, he's a, he's a woman trying to seduce people or whatever. Right. Yeah. And prior to, I think, Tony Perkins is, is you know, Anthony or, oh my God, what's his name? Norman Bates. I don't really think we have that. Another killer inspired by Ed Gein, funny enough. I don't think we really have that in the horror genre of a of a killer who wants to become someone else. Not in the sense of he's trying to inflict pain the way that, like, mm. Jason's trying to get revenge of the counselors or whatever that hurt him. You know, Freddy, I haven't seen those movies a lot, so whatever. Ghostfaces, they're all vendettas, like you've said. Right. Leatherface is more in search of something, I would say, the way that Norman Bates is of trying to like disassociate from yeah. either the pain he has or the pain he's inflicting. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. In search of something else than themselves. Yeah. And not just like blood, you know. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like transcendence. Mm. And like, I think it's a interesting choice to have Leatherface be vocal too you know the only time we really hear jason talk is when he goes kill 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 and you know what's more iconic than hearing the breathing of michael myers when he's, yeah when it's a pov shot as he's going up the stairs with that awesome score playing you know leatherface is vocal he screams and cries and thrashes around he has a personality he like he is you know um in the other films very very much controllable and manipulate like you can manipulate him as far as kind of keeping him in line and, and behaving so there's an interesting thing too with him being kind of more vocal and like um wanting um, to say something like there's a, there's that idea yeah. that i feel like you know all these other killers either can't speak or they can't speak and it's very limited but with leatherface it feels like there's a struggle to speak Right, like he can't, exactly. but he doesn't know how to express himself, which also goes back to this idea of the mask and the need of the mask, in the sense of like, I am so horrified by the what I am or what I become that I need to like have the right. outside world not see who I really am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's just a very fascinating character in that regard. That I think a lot of filmmakers throw that aspect away or barely touch on it. You know, as someone who's seen, you know, at least three movies in this franchise or four, whatever I'm up to, <laughs> a lot of them don't really work on this, you know, template they have here that he can be so much more. And I just, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So from like the subtext to like, I guess the text itself, we've talked about it a lot. Do you think this is, I, you believe this is a parody, correct? I do. I, I do. Okay. I, I think there's definitely some merit to that. I just... I don't know. I watched the, the behind the scenes documentary and just the intro alone made me think they don't think it's like, <laughs> like the documentary opens with like a couple of like spooky guitar chords. It's like that class, like, blah, blah, like yeah. as like they're, they're showing, <laughs> like they got a garage band just be like, Hey man, you just like play me like the A chord a couple of times. <laughs> um, and we're seeing like showing several parts of like the set of like the, the kitchen or whatever. And I wrote that what Kim Hinkle says. He says, the evil that any of us does, the evil each of us is capable of, I think that's why we're both horrified and attracted to it. Most of us, if we think of something that's generally taboo, we immediately put that thought aside. We don't let it take any place in our consciousness. 
and then it cuts to a rack of skulls. That to me, if you're making your first statement of your behind the scenes documentary of what this movie's about or what we did or how we made this, it didn't strike me as like, hey, I get it. You know, it felt more of like, hey, we're really trying to say something about the taboo nature of thing. And maybe that's me reading too much into things. And that, that's completely like on the ball and, and possible. But like, it, it, they, they pitch the movie later as like relentlessly terrifying and relentlessly funny, but they don't say why funny. They don't be like self referential funny. You know, he talks about like what this movie's about, and it's not satire really at all. Um, he said in an interview, you know, as she, Jenny, emerged from the constraints of oppression, she sheds the constraints of her costume, her guys, her, her like hair, <laughs> the the ugly Jenny, quote unquote. She appears at the dinner table dressed in glittery finery, hair done, hair done, makeup, makeup impeccable. She's emerged. She's awakened, literally and figuratively. She's had enough. She's ready to stand up and fight back. So I wouldn't say you can't have like Jenny's character development and arc without the satire. You're like, one doesn't mean you can't have the other by any means. But it just felt very much like the way he talks about this movie, what he focused on isn't – look what I'm trying to say about the horror genre. But that's just my – like I want to hear more of your your argument. Yeah. So I think to take a step back to and just put mm, the, things in perspective, we're pretty big film nerds. Toby Hooper, who was – Kim Hankel's partner on the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They co-wrote together. They had a pretty contentious relationship. Yeah. And I think right out of the gate to me, um, when they referred to the two other sequels as quote-unquote minor incidents Mm. in the kind of like debriefing or whatever at the beginning, like to me that right out of the gate was was self-referential parody, satire. I mean, kind of chalk it up to whatever you want. It kind of covered the board for me. That's interesting because you know I, mean? I thought that was more of a diss of like, hey, we're trying to separate ourselves from those movies because they're goofy and campy. You know, like if you're trying to like – because I would say Texas Chainsaw 2 is more of a satire than this is quite honestly. It might or, be. It or might it's be. in the same vein of like goofy enough you can make the argument that like yeah. they're spooking off of like how by the 80s a lot of the horror movies became like, look, it's crazy fight. Right. You know, but like th- there's not – but distancing yourself of that is like saying we don't want to be part of that. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess you could see it as that too. I just thought like. But your it, your interpretation is also valid. It, it, it to me it felt like something that was more a community like communicating with the audience. And then this this movie did come out in 1995, so there has been time for it to kind of marinate and kind of live on and probably been talked about more than it should. Um, but that was just kind of something right out of the gate that I picked up on. And then I was watching this whole movie and this is like such a blanket statement to say for something made in the nineties. But while I'm watching the whole time, I'm like, man, this movie feels so nineties. And like, mm. I couldn't really put my finger on, I couldn't really find all the pulses, but like some of the things that kind of came to mind too, was like the whole secret society angle during the nineties in Bush's administration, there was a lot of talk about like the new world order. I don't know. Like we're both pretty young to have remembered the wizard that. people. Yeah. You know, the wizard people and all that kind of talk. Bush was in the CIA at one point, the head of the CIA. So there was a lot of talk about that stuff. So like there was a real big kind of anxiety about like a secret society or not not having all the answers anymore. And with the advent of the internet um, and things like that, I felt like movies that relied on location in like a desolate, scary setting like Texas Chainsaw Massacre to me, they just don't have that same effectiveness. And I felt like the film portrayed that kind of like what I talked about with you with the town center, you know, it takes these characters five minutes to get from Darla's sales office, which we still don't really know what she's doing (laughs) back to the farm. Okay. And the original was a gas station that was run down and the guy was creepy and old. 
well, why does it need to be a sales office now? There's still gas stations around uh-huh. to this day. Sure. Like we still need gas. So to me, that was a blatant kind of like modernization of the gang and kind of putting them in more of a relevant time frame, the next generation, maybe. <laughs> um, Instead of just being like the same rehash. It's not a force awakens with the sense of like we're just changing the names of our characters, but it's the same movie. You know? Same scripts, pretty much. Yeah, beat for beat. Exactly. Um, another thing, some of the gags from the original are lifted. Beat it's fun, beat. yeah. Yeah, but like, they're then kind of given this perverse little twist. Like, you and I were talking about this before we did the cast. With yeah. the old man who's sitting at the table. In the original, the old man who's sitting at the table then attacks Sally. And like, it's kind of one of the more scary and like, Again, that movie, Texas Chainsaw, the original, kind of really works in a disturbing level. It's one of the more disturbing scenes of the movie. Well, in this movie, you know, after Sally dresses, you know, no pun intended, dresses Leatherface down. Hey, hey, (laughs) we see the old man who is the who is the considered dead family member at the table get up with a knife. Kind of he's like kind of looks like he's Parkinson's shakes. He kind of looks at the scene and just gives it kind of like a shrug and walks away. Like he doesn't have it, he doesn't want to be bothered with it. I mean, things like that to me are just like, they, they, they can't just be stupid jokes. They're, that has to be kind of saying something, right? To me, right. just a little bit. I mean, other, other than that, then this movie really is just as bad as people say, right? It, it's one or the other. And that's kind of like, it's kind of a scary like ledge to stand on. It's like, well, then if I find it out, the joke's on me. Right. But like, <laughs> I, I just when I was watching this movie, I couldn't couldn't not think at this point, you know, where in 2022 so this movie came out, what 30 years ago, someone, yeah, yeah. So I couldn't not feel like some of these things were intentional. You're trying to find a reason as to why it's so <laughs> goofy, so bad, yeah. And then the other thing that I kind of had on here too was the burger scene where Darla pulls up and has Heather in the trunk at that point. Jenny, Jenny, talking. yeah, yeah. Jenny, sorry. Just, Come on, dude. I... Doesn't matter. My bad. Yeah. My bad. Has <laughs> Jenny. Details. Come on. It's all, about the, it's all the details. Has Jenny in the trunk. Um, she pulls up to the burger stand to get pizza and burgers for her and the gang before she heads back home. And he says, What's in the trunk? And she says, A body. And he says, Really? And she goes, Yeah. Want to see? And he, the only reason he doesn't want to see the body is. Because he might get in trouble. He might get in trouble yeah. and get fired. Well, then, okay, yeah, maybe you want to chalk that one up to bad screenwriting and, and just like the second part that comes up after it that kind of, I feel like, solidifies that notion. There's a police car right behind her. Mm. She gets out of the car. There's a group of children who walk by her as she's talking to a person in a plastic bag who don't, there's, there's a disconnect between people, <laughs> yeah. right? Nobody's paying attention. The cop is more interested in flirting with her than doing any police work. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just, it's too much of those things in that time frame to me. Like I said, with the early 90s and kind of the internet boom and people, the world becoming a lot smaller to people. I just felt to me like that, that was definitely a direct com- commentary on not only the world, but the horror genre as a whole is like how ridiculous and over the top it's gotten um, at that point. And it still is to this day, in my opinion. The only thing I, I would say to your credit, the burger part, I think you touch on something in the sense of like, if you told someone in like 73, I got a dead body with me, they'd be kind of horrified and repulsed and like, like what? Like, why would you make that joke? But this dude buys it. He's just like, yeah, sure. Okay. I'll, I'll see it. But, but my manager's going like, to get me in trouble. So I think there is that sense of like the desensitization, like 
whatever how you pronounce that word desensitization however yeah <laughs> being desensitized to violence as a generation the mm -hmm. next generation oh um but i would also say that like jm wogan do the special effects for this movie what little there are i don't know uh he said that kim had this vision of chainsaw since he and Tobe made the first one he felt like the vision of psychological horror had been hijacked a bit into a gore franchise by hollywood to your point this was his version to try and set the record straight so i think maybe there is a sense of like he wants to make a change or a commentary in the way that hollywood is focused on blood and we don't see any blood in this movie i don't think at all yeah no it's purely an r for content and disturbing images it's, it's yes in language yeah language yeah but we don't see you know like i think maybe that's what it's more a riff on than straight like the horror genre of like campiness than it is you know that yeah and i agree with you too that was kind of one of the things i was kind of talking about too is like when i was saying on the porch you know michael would have slit her throat or the friday the 13th movie really kind of stretched at this point too where the the kills played for laughs they didn't play for like scares yes and i think that's that's also what this movie is kind of commenting on too i don't know i'd love to i'd love to talk to kim hankel the, the man himself but like if we could get him on the cast I mean, I don't want to be rude, but I don't know what else he's doing. <laughs> he needs us more than we need him. He's, he's what? How old? Kim Hankel is... I have no idea. 76. This is the only movie he ever directed. That's true. That's true. They he, were like, um... after this, they didn't give him commercials. They didn't give him, you know, short little TV show spot or anything. They were like, nah, you're It's good. interesting because he hasn't written a movie since 2012, which was The Butcher Boys, apparently. I've never heard that and before that, it was a movie called Doc's Full Service in 1994, which was a short, well, it was apparently a feature film. So he hasn't been like a big, big guy, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, just kind of to wrap up this kind of part of the conversation, mm. I think it's pretty silly to spend more than 15, 20 minutes breaking down, you know, is this movie? Is <laughs> Next Generation a satire? Or is it just a Doc movie? Yeah. It's just this guy won at the end of the day because we're talking about this movie right now. I know that people have this movie. It, it, it does have a cult status in the sense that people talk about it. And it spawned two of the greatest performers we've had in the past 30 years who went on to have major, major successful careers. So at the end of this, at the end of the day, this movie is still being talked about. And it's funny. I was watching an interview with Jordan Peele and he was talking about Nope. And he's very articulate in what he says and what he doesn't say. Um, you referenced earlier the in interview with Kim and how your frustration was, yeah, because we were in bad hands, you don't have the answer. You know what I yes. mean? It's not because it's not because you don't want to tell me and you want me to draw my own conclusions. It's because this is a bad movie. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I guess this guy wins because we're still talking about and debating whether this is a comedy or if it's a satire, if it's a horror movie. Um, or if it's any of those things at all. So I guess at the end of the day, he succeeded. Yeah. I mean, real quick, did we mention the like interview with the Illuminati already? On air? Or no? I don't know if we did. Okay, so just real quick, I don't know if we said or not. If, if we did, you just cut this out. But but someone had done an interview with Kim Hankel, and they were like, hey, so like, is this implication that Rothman does work for the Illuminati? Like, what's the deal here? And he said, you're right, but you're wrong. <laughs> um, he said like, you know, um, and Rothman, nothing in his behavior suggests his interests are those of a member of a society capable of controlling world, event, world events. Mm -hmm. um, he then says that Rothman could just be a teacher with home nights to a dowdy wife and an old maid daughter. 
Weekends, though, he's a Illuminati man in his best suit in a hired limousine, living out a Walter Mitty life. Um, by the way, what a work life split that would be. It's like, hey, man, Monday through Friday, teacher, Sunday or uh, Friday night through Sunday night, Illuminati man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let's go to Decade Decider. Speaking of the weeds, yeah, no, I, I agree. Kim is an interesting character in that sense. Um, one of the few Kims that is an interesting character on the show. Yeah, one of the few. And I think it's the only time where we have two Kims in one episode. Yeah, I agree with, with him there in the sense that, yeah, you can kind of draw your own conclusions, but I can only draw such a conclusion with the material given. And then when it's so sparse like this, it makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. There needs some. There, there needs to be some kind of explanation. And I or just like some like... <laughs> Not a contradictory answer. <laughs> yeah, know, some resolution. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think he knows about as much as we do. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. yeah. Um, moving on. So Decky Decider, just for a reminder, Nick, this is your idea, please. Yeah, you want me to do a little brief? Yeah, again, you know, I did all the work on this, please. <laughs> yes, Josh did all the work. <laughs> None of you will see, just me and him. But yeah, it looks awesome. Uh, no, I, I decided to kind of add this game. We did it last time. Um, decade decider where we take maybe a couple leads it'll be interesting to see with these with this movie too um, take their best decade and see how how they do how they stack up um, last week we had Robert De Niro Ray Liotta Joe Pesci and Martin Scorsese so that was really interesting because you had a large body of work and this movie's 30 plus years old so we should have some I'm not laughing at you it's more like you're going from that to like our three this week are Matthew McConaughey Renee Zellweger and Leatherface yeah <laughs> um, said the three we have this week yeah. not as acclaimed um but i think i want to have a mcconaughey discussion because i think he is one of those fascinating hollywood careers of the last 50 years and i do have i do have a kind of funny thing i'd want to ask you too i don't want Please. to do it now because okay. it would require us to kind of waste people's time here this movie might have more oscar winners in it total than goodfellas or at least the same it does it is, has the same because because yeah. de niro's won pesci's won leota never won if you're like considering supporting actors, maybe there's someone. Yeah, and if you want to give it to Scorsese, I guess that kind of tips it over. But yeah, he gets more than, than Kim Hankel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but McConaughey, Oscar. Yeah, if you could do total Oscars, I bet Goodfellas has it because De Niro's won what you know two or three or whatever, and Pesci's yeah. won two or three. Yeah, which but, kind of the scale, but just going pure pound for pound. Hey, what I won't pick winners here. <laughs> All right. So for Decade Decider this week, we have for our options Matthew McConaughey, Renee Zellweger, and Leatherface. So I guess where we should probably start off first is with everybody in this podcast room's favorite, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. He says that in this movie. Did you notice that? No, when? Yeah, he says it in the dining room scene where he goes like, all right, all right, all right. See, that adds more credence to the fact of what I was talking about. I watched that interview and he was just like, yeah, I showed up on set. They told me what to say and you, you think, know, I just said it. <laughs> you think in 94, they were, he was already like, this is my thing. This is my, my claim. Man, <laughs> his energy in this movie and Tropic Thunder are really not that far off. Like, They're really he, not. He's really been riffing on that <laughs> for a minute. But let's kind of get into him. Um, do you want me to kind of go through the decades and just name some yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. We don't have to do okay. every movie, but just the basics. No, of course. Okay, so we'll start off in the 90s when he first starts working. Days and Confused, which is pretty pretty awesome for not only having a cast like this where it's like home run hitter after home run hitter, 
Um, he's got a great performance in this movie for an opening as for a career. I really enjoy his character in that movie. I forget his name, which is annoying. Woodard? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then he goes to Texas Chainsaw, The Next Generation, which we just spent far too much time talking about. <laughs> Still are. Yeah. <laughs> um, Angels in the Outfield, which I feel like he's in for like five minutes. I don't feel like he's, he's an outfielder, I want to say. Yeah. Something he, like that. I don't, but I don't feel like he has a lot of work in that. But maybe I, no. I, maybe we need to do a, uh, Angels in the Outfield. Hey, the 90s that. are sparse to we get to Amistad in 97. So. Yeah. Um, this is his era right here where if you were talking about some stuff where he really doubled down and trying to just be the money guy um i know you i noticed you put how to lose a guy in 10 days in here there's another 10 pages of wikipedia movies where he is the rom-com star guy yeah uh, failure to launch two for the money um we are marshall's okay i didn't want to put them all in but you need to get across the point for time of mcconaughey's career that he has this rise in the late 90s of like oh and then this yeah. crash in the mid-2000s kind of like affleck honestly no, you're right. You're right. He 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 became you know the kind of like the cash cow to be the handsome lead of all these rom com movies. I know, like I said, you only put a couple in here, but I know that there's there's a bunch. I, I spent enough bad dates going to these movies to know that there's. <laughs> um, and then I feel like he kind of gets into not the McConaughey like the McConaughey or anything like that. We see the beginning of it in 2006. Yeah, We Are Marshall, which is is good. I'm not a huge fan of that movie, but he's really good in that movie. Um, then he goes and does Tropic Thunder to me, which is really him just being like, I'm going to start having fun and start taking parts, whether I'm only in it for a couple scenes where it's Wolf of Wall Street or I'm the douchebag, funny lawyer, Tropic Thunder kind of thing. Yes. Um, you got Ghost of the <laughs> Pass. I mean, I'm going to breeze right over that. Well, because I just want to say, like, like, we do have that rise of Marshall and Thunder, but then he slips back into it and then, like, Destroys that little momentum, but once we get to eleven, which we're going to get into now, yeah, it is a rise like I don't think we're going to see in a long time in Hollywood. This twenty tens is an absolute banger list. See, what's so fascinating to me is within seven years, it, it it's is that's how long it lasts. Arguably, you could say five, and it crashes again. Yeah. So we go Lincoln Lawyer. Okay. Yeah, building up to something. Bernie, which is a fun movie. I don't know if you've seen that. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I know the basic premise. And I was like, that's interesting. I always wanted to see it, but I never did. Good Jack Black. Good Jack, Jack Black in that. Ghost of Magic Mike, which is where things start. I yes. Think. Where people Ghost are like, oh, Magic he's hunky, you know? Yeah. Not only is he absolutely hunky, I think he does some good stuff dramatically in that movie. And that movie's a, another movie that I really enjoy going back and watching. Wow. Um, not <laughs> wow. only for, yeah. <laughs> water meat house it is but for the story and the cinematography um then we go to mud which where he kind of takes a small project here and it's more passion project and allows him to kind of flex his acting muscle some more he's great which, in it which is a really good movie yeah really small but patient and good movie after mud it's just non-stop and i'm just going to list them because i don't need to delve into them dallas buyers club wins the best actor oscar mm-hmm. wolf of wall street kills it in that role yeah absolutely kills it in that role Wolf of Wall Street is in it for two minutes and probably could have got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> True Detective. Uh, Russ Cole is one of the best characters in TV, cinema, whatever platform you want to name. Don't at me. Interstellar, I'm not a huge fan of, and I think that this is when things start to kind of flame out um, because he goes back into, I'm an action star. I am not going to take more of these roles that ask me to challenge myself and say something. We go to Free State of Jones, which kind of is, the, is really work. the beginning of the end. Yeah, White Boy Rick also didn't work. Um, the Gentleman, which is another guy Ricky 
Guy Ritchie movie that Guy Ricky is just <laughs> Guy Ricky. <laughs> Another Guy Ricky movie that just does not work for me. And then I put in the 2020s Hank the Cow Dog, which is a podcast he does where he voices a dog named Hank, and it, like Jesse Plemons is in the cast, and it's like a surprisingly stacked cast. Yeah, written and directed by Jeff Nichols, who I think did um, what's that oh. movie with Michael Shannon and oh, um, yeah. uh, Take Shelter, Take Shelter, Midnight Special, Loving, yeah, Mud. He like yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just this very yeah. odd thing yeah. he does. Yeah, and I think just real quick, he has become an enigma. He's mm. not just an actor at this point. He's very, I mean, running for a potential governorship. Um, governorship. He released a book recently that had some. He's got a very shamanistic approach to life. He's very singular in that kind of regard. Um, yeah, he's an interesting fella. Has so started John, a YouTube channel. Yeah. What decade are you taking? I think we're both going to take the same. It's a 2010. Like, I, I don't feel like people can understate not just like what he did on the whole, but like the Wolf of Wall Street thing. If you weren't like in your teens to 20s during that like movie when it was released, I know we talked about it last week, but like, there was something of like, I was in high school when that movie came out or shortly thereafter. And there were kids that when I was a junior were freshmen doing the like pat on the chest, like the, uh, uh. Mm -hmm. like that was a real thing in the pop culture. And that was all him. You know, I don't know if that was in the script or not, but he makes that entire thing. And the craziest part is he goes right from Dallas Buyers Club to that. He looks gaunt and mm -hmm. he still crushes it. Uh, I believe that was improvised too. Yeah. Yeah, which is and, and just kills it. And I think True Detective, I know we don't really we're not gonna probably talk about a lot of TV on the show, but like you can't talk about McConaughey and not talk about True Detective. I mean it might be the best singular season of television. I'm not sure I'm not gonna yes. say True Detective is the best show, and we can get into that later. Like you said, this isn't really a show where we're gonna be talking a lot about TV, but Man, I have watched that season more than I've watched any show through ever. I would agree. So because I don't, I don't want to get into too much of a tangent before we go to Renee Zellweger, but like it's such an isolated thing. It's not like, well, no, season two. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, like as much as I like Dexter, if you rewatch season four, which I contend is really great, you then have that specter of season five of like, oh man, where yeah, Shooter Dexter doesn't have that. Good. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh. Andre Zellweger, her 90s gets a, a very similar start as McConaughey. Yep. It was uncredited in her first three movies, but then Texas Chainsaw breaks out. With that, within 96, she's doing Jerry Maguire and she just kind of goes off. I mean, how crazy is that within her first four movie roles? She's playing groups. <laughs> how crazy is she went from two years after this movie came out, Texas Chainsaw? She's with Tom Cruise. <laughs> Which makes me wonder. I wonder how many critics went and saw Texas Chainsaw, the next generation and said like what we were saying. We're like, Oh no, there's something there. Like she has, she has some good scenes in here. Like, because there's no way she goes Texas Chainsaw Empire records, which I'm not really familiar with, but I've heard the name to Jerry Maguire. And what is it? Uncredited two of her first three movies. Like, come on. Like, that's just strange to me. Like there is at least a crazy, crazy rise to go from, and you got to think 1996, Tom Cruise is still the biggest man in the world. It's him and Tom Hanks battling in Denzel Washington. Those three are duking it out every single year to have the biggest movie in the world. Yeah, no, like, it's pretty incredible. Like, <laughs> I do legitimately think you don't get the careers these two people have had without this movie, which is weird to say, given how bad it is. But, like, 
there's no other way I can explain the fact that like they go from nothing essentially, either big characters are uncredited completely, to then all of a sudden leads. Yeah. You know, within three years of Texas Chainsaw, McConaughey is leading a Spielberg movie, arguably. Yeah. And, and Renee Zellweger is right alongside Tom Cruise, co-billing with him in two years after this movie. Mm-hmm. So this movie definitely propels him to some extent. And then by 2001, she's in Bridge Jones, Chicago in 2002, Cinderella Man 2005. And then she just disappears right after the B movie, which I can't blame her. Yeah. That, that, uh, <laughs> do you remember the B movie? I do. You remember when that was like a thing? Yes. I've, there's a little better, really weird research on the internet of like the B movie. I don't know if you've noticed that. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm pretty off the grid. Of like the B and, and I think her character being in love and like what a weird concept that is that she's in love with a B or whatever the, whatever the hell is going on there. Yeah. That movie did not work on any level. <laughs> And then she circles back in 2016, returns to Bridget Jones's franchise, which I guess good on her. Get the get the get the uh, get the bill. Uh, and then wins the Oscar for Judy. Yeah. And I don't think it was that contested of like a year, if I want to be honest with you. Like I have to look it up again, but no, I'll take a look right now. But yeah, I don't think it was really that. But I remember everyone was like, "Oh, it's hers." Like she's probably not gonna like. I I remember we had an Oscar pool that year, me and a couple friends, and I picked her, and I didn't really have any like doubts about it whatsoever. Is that the year that Green Book won too, though? Like, it was a really weird year. Yes. Yes, it was. So it's her in the category, Cynthia Revio and Harriet, which I didn't see. Um, Scarlett Johansson and Marriage Story. Excellent performance. Yeah. I, think uh, really good. I haven't seen Judy. So. Saoirse, Rose, Saoirse Ronan and Little Women. And then Charlize Theron in Bombshell. Yeah. I've seen one, two, three three of those movies yeah me too um, I, think. I think star joe's great in marriage story um but this was one of those how, yeah i don't know how ronan hasn't won an oscar by now um which is she's insane. due she's still yeah. really young and has a chance so i hope they do honor her um and i thought theron was really good in bombshell as being <clears throat> but i also felt like that role almost felt like more of a character caricature than the actual person it's interesting in the sense of like you know, I think McConaughey and her have very similar career trajectories in this one extent, you know, besides their, their humble origins, if you will. Should um, we they, take them real quick? What? Should we take a decade for Renee? Though? It's, uh, sure. I think it's probably the, the 2000s okay. if, I, if I had to pick one. Yeah, I agree. Um, but like in the sense of like they come back out of nowhere in obscurity to then win an Oscar and have kind of just faded away somewhat ever since, you know, like. I think. I know she's got a couple things. She's she's got an Emmy for an Emmy this year for like the thing about Pam. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, <laughs> I think the thing too with Renee Zellweger is she's somebody who has been in a ton of movies. Who I've probably seen four movies she's been in, mm. this one included. She's she's very selective with her works and like the role she chooses. Whereas I feel like McConaughey is, whether it's acting or mm-hmm. doing his YouTube stuff or politics. He's constantly in this like social stratosphere. He's kind of unavoidable. Whereas I feel like she's kind of made a conscious effort to be like, I am just an actor. And when my roles are done and I get praise and rewards, that's awesome. But, but then, then I move on. I move yeah. on from the person. Yeah. Um, whereas, like I said about earlier with McConaughey, he's become more of an enigma mm-hmm. an actor. Uh, on the weather face. <laughs> Um, not much really to say. I mean, it appears in, in obviously the first movie, the second movie, uh, has the Michael Bay reboot, and then there's a movie called Weatherface in 2017, and we get the return of him last year in a Netflix movie, or this year, I guess, early this year, um, which was really bad. I saw it. 
Um, not quite as bad as this movie, but you know. Are you talking about uh, the new one that came out on Netflix? Yes, yes. Like it's not laughably bad. It's just kind of bad. Okay, I haven't seen anything <laughs> past well, Next Generation. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've seen pieces of the other ones. But. The disappointing thing about the new one is it does make Leatherface just a brutal killer. Yeah, um, which is really a letdown because you know I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to demand like I need like a sensitive portrait of Leatherface. I need a Paul Thomas Anderson directed Leatherface movie. <laughs> <laughs> but there is more to him than it's just like in that movie like someone kills the woman who was taking care of him and like by she has like a heart attack because of these people that like are bothering her okay. and so he just murders the entire town of people yeah and, and that, like brutally like he, there, i don't know if you saw in the trail but there's a scene where he goes into like a tour bus with a chainsaw and just butchers everyone in the, in the train or the bus yeah to me that's just not the character no uh, it very much felt like, oh, Halloween 2018 came out. Let's just do that, but with with Leatherface, and it's like well, that's not really who Leatherface is, but whatever. Right. Yeah. I guess the decade I would pick is the 70s, just because that's when the first one came out. Mm. It is interesting. He has his most work in the 90s, and the 2000s, and the 2010s. He's in two movies per year from from the 90s to 2010s. But did you, yeah. you notice that too? Like he, they did that in the early 2000s with Jason and Freddy, and they didn't last. He has no. more movies come out, which is weird. Well, there's this weird trend in like the early 2000s of like once the people who grew up in the 70s on those movies come out, want to remake them. You know, right. we get Rob Zombie's Halloween, we get Michael Bay's Texas Chainsaw, which he produces, I believe. You know, like it's just like yeah. it's cyclical Hollywood, you know, in that sense, uh, as yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It'd be a shame for more original ideas like Nope to come out. <laughs> Jordan Peele's like, and my new film is going to be uh, Psycho 5. We're going to bring back Tony Perkins, Deadpool Corpse, and, and CGI him. Dude, if he did that, I'd still be there opening day. Like, Yeah, I'd be like, I'm too curious not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so that's decade design. For a decade with other oh, things. it's McConaughey's 2010s. It might be one of those decades where I don't know if it could, it might not be challenged for a while. Yeah. It's it's referred to as a McConaughey. That's true. That's true. Um, do we want to pick our first three favorite quotes or our best three favorite quotes, and then maybe hit Kim's corner real quick and call it a day? I think that's probably fair. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say. Go ahead. My favorite quote of the movie is, <laughs> "Wouldn't it be really funny if we all died right now and somebody wrote a song about it?" It says it out of nowhere too. Like it's like, no, it's like, man, I'm really scared we might die. She just goes like, "Hey, I had a funny idea." Or like I had a cool idea. I was like, "That's not cool. That that sounds awful." Yeah, I also love. <laughs> this isn't one of my favorite quotes, but this exchange is great. Is when Darla says to Jenny, she says, "What you really never wondered who actually killed JFK?" And Jenny <laughs> says, "The government." <laughs> and it's out of left field. It doesn't. There's no pretext. Well, Darla posits that they've been around for like two thousand years. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, since cavemen, or yeah. like Jesus was was the first member of this family, or whatever. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely say first I'm gonna kill you and ain't no fucking baggy. It's just like his bravado, the way he says it, is just terrific. Ain't no fucking baggy. Um, I wish you wouldn't get flags because I would love to upload the audio. I know. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever have a road dogs mascot in like some perverse universe where we somehow have like a like a like you know nfl teams have that like mascot like we have one of those instead of a bark he would do boo. 
<laughs> I found a clip on YouTube where it's like a 10 hour wooba bew and, and like <laughs> yes. okay. like like people do recognize the greatness of the bew and I'm I'm it made me happy when I saw that. Like um, I'll be okay. fine. Yeah. I'll give can I give my next quote? Please. Um my other quote that I really enjoy, because I feel like this kind of fits in with what, how I feel about this movie is right. <laughs> this, all this, it's been an abomination. You really must accept my sincere apologies. It was supposed to be a spiritual experience. I can't tell you how disappointed I am. <laughs> it's good. Um, the one that I really enjoyed in this last watch with like my friends was when that lady just goes, step on it, Mr. Spotish. Like, like it's just this suburban couple going up for like a leisurely drive on like a Saturday like morning we presume. Yeah. And you're like, step on it, Mr. Spotters. That that monster's getting real close. And it's his wife. Why is she calling him Mr. Spotters? Exactly. Like, like he goes like, thank you, Mr. Spotters, and she's like, step on it, Mr. Spotters. Like, <laughs> like the character names on like the call sheet are what they were just like. I guess that's just his name. Okay, I need Mr. and Mrs. Spottish on stage too, right now. It's very presumptive of you to think they have a stage. Yeah, I'm sorry. And that scene was shot in the wilderness. On the dirt road, please, Mr. and Mrs. Spottish. Pronto. (laughs) It's almost magic hour. Almost golden hour. (laughs) What's your favorite quote? Uh, I'd probably say Barry. What? Girls have tits. Just really kind of, you know, yeah, nailing the female anatomy right there. Barry is very to the point, blunt, which you I gotta, appreciate. You got to admire him for that, honestly. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the man knows what he wants. And he's upfront about it. You know, he, there's no uh, no messing around with him. There's no frills. Uh, this is your segment yeah i know i just i'm trying to avoid personal accountability for what i've done and like the segment i've spawned sounds just like the person who it's about (laughs) uh switching gears to north korea's favorite segment kim's corner uh i thought you maybe applaud or something okay uh, for people who don't know, Kim Jong-il is a former North Korean dictator love movies. He had 30,000 movies in his collection, apparently. He said he watched every Oscar winner. Uh, so I thought it'd be a fun little gag of, like, did Kim Jong-il watch the movie we watched? What did he think about it? Who did he relate to the most? And just, like, the overall question of, like, Kim's tendencies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think he watched this movie? Because I – go ahead. I do because of his like favorite movies, Thirteenth uh, and stuff like that. In there, I was like, he had to have seen this one. You know what I mean? See, I I agree with you there because he they do say he likes Friday the Thirteenth. That is like what ten sequels we want to say. Mm-hmm. That's a schlocky genre, just like Texas Chainsaw. So I feel like he's either watched this or he's heard about it, and like, oh, McConaughey, Zellweger, interesting, because he he does he knows the Oscar movies. He'd see their names, you know. Yeah. He also likes the action schlock. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he would find out about this movie. He also likes Americans looking stupid. Mm, very true. So I don't I don't know if he watched this though. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say he did. Just because I, I want him <laughs> to have watched it. <laughs> you want him like a loud watching Matthew Connor slap himself on the face and like, like <laughs> <laughs> he was rocking the palace. I would be a liar if I 
um, said I haven't been at work walking around by myself and just kick open a door and just go boom. <laughs> yeah, it's the real deal. See, nothing else has made this movie worth watching to me than just like you now knowing the boo sound because it's just so good. Like it's so stupid, but then you remember it after five months of not thinking about it in my case. And it's like, oh my God, I can't believe he made that choice as an actor. <laughs> um, You have a hot take, but who are you related to the most? Well, let's, let's hear it. Okay. Are you ready? Kim Jong-il yeah, is go ahead. Jenny. Is who? Jenny. Jenny. Yep. Interesting. I know, I know the easy layup is to, to pick Leatherface. But I have some reasons why I chose Jenny. Uh-huh. Both misunderstood by their peers. Good both one. disrespected. <laughs> considered traditionally ugly for some reason. Mm. Both wear glasses. Mm. And both um, rise up against their oppressor to um, stand up for themselves and kind of have a footing and say in their lives. That's true. Eventually, that he, they're both like, "Hey, like I'm just as good as you." Where like I demand the attention, and respect, and I'm. Yeah, he yells at Leatherface, and she's like, "Sit the fuck down." You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's Kim to like China. Yeah. Like, hey, don't 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 lift that trade embargo. You know, like, or, or don't put that trade embargo on me. Guess what? I don't. I'm not going to take it. Yeah. So so I t- I chose Jenny um mm. just for kind of like to <laughs> to to make the case a little bit harder. <laughs> I've imagined him like going around like trick or treating as Jenny now for some reason. Yeah. In like that bespectacled like dress at the very end of the movie. And I'm like, wow, what a sight. Yeah. Both quick on their feet, both intelligent. You know, Jenny grabs that remote control from Vilmer's leg mm. in like 0.2 seconds. She had the reflex and twitch reflexes of like a Barry Sanders in that scene. So <laughs> um, I think, I think Kim was quite quick on his feet, you know, relatively speaking as far as uh, thinking, but. I like the, the most athletic fella. <laughs> With the first pick of the 2001 draft, the, the Houston Texans select Jenny from Texas Tech. <laughs> Adam Schefter. Just <laughs> dropping a Shefty alert. And appears the Texans are going to pick Jenny from Texas Chainsaw with their first overall pick. Uh, back to you. Uh, I'm going to say he, he's kind of Rothman. Because there is mm. this like mystery of Rothman. Of like, what's his deal? What is his intent? Mm. But I, I think there's something to Rothman where he's not just like evil overlord either. There's right. more to it. If he wants something out of this, he thinks he's doing philosophy, you know, the right thing. And, and morally, he's trying to teach something to the world. And I think Kim kind of relates to that. <laughs> we're talking about his like he's our friend. And it, we're mm. like, yeah, I think Kim would relate to that. Yeah, I think he's seen this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Um, but like, there's just something to like that idea of like, Rothman thinking he's right or he's trying to do something that Kim I think would be like I'm just trying to show America and the whole world like they're wrong and I have it mm-hmm. right and there's also that like power role that Rothman holds that I think Kim would be like yo I know that feeling of like trying to teach your subordinates this isn't how we do things yeah I agree I, I agree with that too I think that's actually a pretty, pretty solid pick um, thank you I um kind of just real quick I know we kind of talked about this earlier but kind of just what you were saying about Rothman made me think about it I think Rothman is such a commentary on like directing and and like as a whole mm-hmm. you know what I mean about how this movie is just <laughs> doesn't work on any level I think he is like cognizant of it as, as a character that like there hasn't really been any big kills or thrills or scares yeah I just, I just find it interesting like when you whenever we talk about that part it's weird like because the audience won't know, but we will obviously that we've recorded this podcast over the stretch of a couple of days. <laughs> there are far superior movies that like 
I have forgotten about. And then and like I've held on to this movie since. Like I'm still thinking it. You know what I mean? It's very <laughs> I'm not. I'm not joking. I'm I know joking. you're not. That's why it's just such like an unreal like experience. So like, you watch this movie and you you're, you're while you're watching, you're like, this is bad. Yeah. But there are elements of it, whether it's the comedy, which is intentional or not, or just everything else that really like stick with you. Yeah, um, I don't know what it is. So thank you for making me watch this. I guess I, I'm glad. I mean, you are right about Rothman, though. Like he is kind of an exclusive character in the whole horror genre of someone that. I mean, I haven't watched every horror movie, so maybe I'm speaking mm. on a turn here. But like, there is a sense of like he's not malevolent by evil. He feels like he's doing something. They're trying to teach humanity something, right? And I don't think he generally wants them to be killed. These people, I think he wants like a orgasmic terror to be birthed from this. Yeah, yes, yeah, and, and that's interesting. Life. Yes, yeah. Either by like how precious life is, I, I don't know, but. Yeah, um, horrors of life. It's it's very strange. It's never really cleared up. So yeah, do you think Kim liked this movie? I think he's like us. I think he's like us. I think he's like, <laughs> us. I think he's like one of those people who, who watched it um, for an, maybe a couple laughs and entertainment value, but then was yeah. like thinking about some little things. Was like that can't be that stupid. That has to be a little bit. <laughs> he's the third road dog, Kim. I think. No. <laughs> All right, you um, want to behind the scenes stuff, or what? Yeah, to... we'll, we'll wrap this up behind the scenes, and okay. um, there's just kind of like a fascinating post and pre-production thing with this movie, where it was shot in '93, mm-hmm. it didn't come out until '97, apparently. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Just real quick, yeah. There was a huge thing about like releasing this movie, and um, I forget the company, but they were really upset that the the studio who bought it didn't give it the proper advertising mm. and promotion, um, which is hilarious to think about, to be mad that you're like, you, you buried my, you know, I don't know what this cost, $30,000 movie. How dare you? you know what I, mean? um, I found that part funny. And then there's a, something else that I kind of want to hit on, but back to what you were saying. Well, yeah. So like basically uh, Columbia slash TriStar Pictures wanted to like release it as soon as possible. Once like McConaughey and Zellweger started to like burst. And they were like, hey, like we got these two guys who are suddenly making a name. Let's let's release this movie. Um, but their agents were like, don't release this movie. <laughs> it's hilarious because I would and like I wanted to say this, that's exactly what I wanted to hop and piggyback off of. Mm-hmm. Agents deal in exposure, right? Like that's what they sell. It's like I can make you a star. I can you your face is gonna be on that billboard. Mm-hmm. It's a rare, rare day where an agent says, Don't put that out, please. You know what I mean? Like that is <laughs> so crazy to think about and they were young this was their both of their like 20, second yeah. or third movie so um, we like we'd rather just keep this one in the can yeah <laughs> like i know our, our like they were really like this is gonna do more harm to your career than it will do good because we're finally starting to pick up steam now yeah it's and it is just <laughs> it's just baffling that like it reaffirms my thoughts on this movie that agents who it's their job were like my client should not be featured in this film i, I do not want their work to be shown <laughs> Um, but just like, don't know shit about movies. They just don't <laughs> sell people. Uh, it was officially released August 29th, 1997. Uh, opened at 23 theaters, made a shocking $185,000. Wow. So it definitely made its money back. Yeah, I would assume because I, I don't imagine there's much advertising or like publicity about this. So it is just pure production cost. I wonder what the craft services were like on the set. I have some stuff about the, the set itself. 
Oh, um, so, so the, the special effects, effects stunt slash supervisor was 19. What's special effects, <laughs> by the way? I don't know. That's just what his title was. Okay. Uh, that's just, you know, apparently. <laughs> this is a quote from that same person. Chainsaw was a very, very rough shoot for everyone. It was almost all night shoots. We only had one motorhome for all the cast, costumes, everything, limited amenities, uncomfortable locations that were sometimes an hour drives away from home, long days and mass mosquitoes. They were rolling camera from dusk till dawn, six nights a week for what seemed like months. There are some reports of like, it wasn't McConaughey or Zellweger's agents trying to do this, but there is just kind of like this dubious atmosphere of that. And some of the cast members are like, I don't think they themselves wanted it squashed, but mm-hmm. they're agents. <laughs> um, I found this quote in, in an article from Dread that I thought really encapsulated the movie perfectly. And I said, the movie itself is a very strange piece of art. Resplendent in flaws arise from both the script and the manner by which it was made, driven by a man executing a vision for an over 20 years of catharsis. And I was like, that's good. Kim uh, Henkel described it as it was more of a moral schizophrenia, or at least what I called it off this character and these characters that I enjoyed. Uh, they did, in fact, sculpt a pair of boobs for Leatherface. Nice. So in the behind the scenes, you could watch people walking around with the, like prosthetic boobs on their chest, being like, hur, hur. <laughs> I'd like that like prop just kind of in my closet. Just to be like, oh, I just you grab show my up shirt one day. from work. <laughs> yeah, you show up at work one day. But just <laughs> you, guys, you guys see my new work that I got done? Unbuttoned it. Yeah. <laughs> Kim Hankel said of Vilmer, that's Vilmer's whole game. He despises the straight, the straight kill. I was like, that's pretty solid. Mm. As you can imagine, the belly piercing was all prosthetic, so they would actually like lather the the actor who played Rothman up and all this stuff, and then like mm. sculpt it off of what it, they pried off of it and uh, everything else. Wow, that's pretty. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's amazing uh, because now that would just be CGI, right? Yeah, like, they wouldn't even, even, even do it in camera. Uh, it was designed to be a statement on young males erotic fantasy in the sense of like you capture these girls and you're like powerful and, and everything else and you kidnap and bind them and then you slaughter them which I don't know how that's the, the fantasy of young males it's not mine yeah no I think I'm going to take a hard pass on that one uh, and a lot of the stunts were in fact practical they would just, we did have a stunt woman jump onto that wire of the telephone like wire mm. uh, and then fall into the like garden area from that wire um, so I do want to commend this movie for this. It does feel very, very real, not in a scary way, but you can see that it is all pretty much done practically. Yeah. And it just goes to show that, like, I know that we're kind of having fun with this movie in a way, but, you know, working six days a week, I don't care if it's a crap movie or if it's a Hollywood blockbuster, you're working six days a week. That's hard work from dusk till dawn. So absolutely, it just, it, it's crazy to me to think of how much work goes into making a movie. Um, whether it's like on this level, whether it's on the level of Nope, which I know is like the most recent movie we just both saw in the theaters. So yeah, it's just, uh, it's always a, a huge team effort to get things like this done. And I guess even as much as this movie is much a, a malign, uh, <laughs> kudos to everybody who worked on it. And, and I'm um, glad their work's still getting talked about, even if it's yeah. just by us. Like I, this movie does have a shelf life and, and not just Hollywood and their careers of the actors in it, but just in general, like, what it is trying to say, whether it does it successfully or not, I am glad this movie and their work is still being kind of enjoyed, even if it is kind of schlocky. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and we'll end it with his final quote of our, our boy Vilmer. What's been done by Vilmer is far worse than someone chopping off a few heads here or there. 
because it's all about the psychological horror and, and the torture and the mental mm-hmm. and physical anguish and not just like Michael Myers who kills people, which is almost scarier. Yeah. You know, Jenny and Sally get away from in both these films, but like got a lot of what a what a lot of damage done to that membrane, I gotta say. Yeah, look at Sally in the last shot. She's basically like comatose. Yeah, catatonic, just being catatonic. Yeah. 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 Um so that was Texas Chainsaw, the next generation. Nice. Very, very good. And I went back and listened the other day. You actually got the title right. I said it wrong every single time, even after you said it right. Yeah, I didn't want to correct you. It's just one of the things of like, <laughs> I, I want to let seniority stand for something still. You know? Nice. Thank you. I, <laughs> I believe in the 50s, you know. Well, thank you, listener. Again, subscribe, rate. We're going to try and drop these on a more consistent weekly basis as we get moving here. Um, Josh, are you going to go see Top Gun Maverick? I am. All right, sweet. We finally can con Josh into seeing Top Gun. I have, after I have he, plans. After he made me watch Texas Chainsaw Next Generation. So next you know, week we'll be talking about <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. One for you, one for me is I think the way we should go. Yeah, yeah I think we should just go that way too. One, one, one for me, one for you. and Eventually heat comes around and we're like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. One for me, one for you and 10 for nobody. All right, guys, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Josh, thanks for talking about this movie with me. I enjoyed it, and I will see you next week, too. Uh, Toodles.